what's going on, everybody? It's the Jeff Gersman Show. Welcome. I'm Jeff Gersman. I'm your host for this week's edition of the show. Uh, happy uh, Tuesday to all of you. It is it is July 11th. A big day. A big big day. I oh, hey, it's 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 seven eleven. I you know. Do you get like a free Slurpee or something for going to 7-Eleven on a... I was, I was just at a 7-Eleven, man. I went to the P.O. Box this morning where I got all the hottest, uh, you know, uh, Bible-related literature. I got another letter from... Uh, I don't know if you remember a while back. I got... I, I, let's open this. There was... Uh, I was getting... Um, I was getting bills for $400,000... To I guess the the guy that owned the PO box before me, um. Okay, this is from a lawyer. This office has been retained by NBC Universal Media to collect the above balance. They say you owe them. Your continued neglect of this past due balance will cause us to commence further collection proceedings. Um. Total balance due. This is after interest. $535,697.36. I'm looking for... This is the second one of these I've gotten uh, to this P.O. box uh, since I got it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, a few... Um, a few more <laughs> letters in the future. <laughs> um... That's a lot of money. It was. I looked into it because there was like a there's a company name on here that they're saying is owed the money, and I I looked at it and it it was it looks like a company that was in the advertising business, and so it's entirely possible that like they sold a bunch of ads on NBC's behalf and then like it went the other you know whatever whatever the the situation is there, um. It seemed very much like it was like some kind of like ad company that folded and probably ran up a lot of bills in the process or something. But that's the ad business, baby. It's tough out there. Um, well, what's going on? We are we're in the middle of July. I was just I was noting earlier this morning that it uh, things have slowed down ever so slightly, at least on the you know, I think on the new releases and on the news front, um, just, you know, on the other side of you know, the big announcement windows for games and, you know, the, the kind of E3, um, spot, the, the E3 spot on the calendar, I guess like, I, you know, how does everyone feel about, um, what we got instead of E3 this year, you know, the summer game fest, the, uh, the various announcements that Nintendo direct kind of, you know, like the Sony thing early on and, and kind of all over the place. Like, I feel pretty good about it overall in terms of like things getting announced and things getting shown. Like I, I thought that there were a number of, of strong games shown through that window. Um, but you know, yeah, it is, it is spread out a little bit and you know, so it's not quite that three day thing. And I think that some people, some people are kind of like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what people want out of it because like, I've been inside it for so long that for me, this was like a way better 
way to cover those games. It was a little more laid back. It was a lot easier to be like, oh, I'm here for the streams. And then, you know, there's a, a two day thing. I'm going in and, and playing and actually playing some games, recording some footage of games and, and, and everything else. And, um, and I, I think from that end, um, it felt pretty good, uh, and, and left me feeling like, okay, well, you know, maybe there's the stuff I can do to kind of expand next year and, and kind of do a little bit more around, um, interview type stuff. Like it was stuff that just, I, I wasn't able to really do a ton of, um, and definitely from the gear perspective, I was like, okay, I need to, if I'm going to do this, I need to bring gear. I need to do this. And you know, do I go get a couch and do a show or whatever? That was kind of the original plan, I guess a year ago now. Um, to do something like that. So, you know, maybe there's something like that next year. Maybe the, maybe the show would benefit from that sort of thing. I don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I, I, I look at it and think like, Hey, you know, that thing could always get bigger and it probably will. Um, and so I, I think that that is, that is pretty cool. Um, and it doesn't need to be E3. You know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago that everyone was like, oh, E3 has been canceled for 2024 and 2025 or, or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it was never really, I mean, you know, maybe they will still have something with that branding in those years, but probably maybe not at this point. It's hard to say what the industry needs, I guess. But, um, but you know, uh, so I guess like looking back on it, I, I look at it and go, oh, well, you know, I wish I had brought some stick mics for that Ed Boon interview because I wish that the audio quality on that was a little bit better. And, you know, and, and so, you know, if I were to do this again, when I, when I do this again, I'd probably get either a proper mixing desk type of thing. Um, we were talking last week about the go, uh, the go XLR situation and, and how that the, the team that supports that device has been laid off. So I've been investigating audio gear for the past week basically as a just in case thing going like ah, does this thing look okay this thing eh, this doesn't do what i need but it does most of what i need but maybe this would work and so it's been a lot of um looking at, at different uh equipment and and trying to think like okay well this would be good to take on the road for podcasts because it doesn't need a computer to be with it um but you know anyway there's a lot of ins and outs with all of that equipment and, and gear and and whatever else but but yeah, so I, I look back on the the kind of summer game fest window and um and feel mostly good about it. It had big games. It didn't have a you know, it didn't have the oomph of big first party stuff because a lot of the first party stuff felt very separate. You know, um, also I did not know that uh, the Xbox thing was going to have playable games added afterwards, which is a, a annoying thing for me because I live just far enough away. Um that it it's hard to like be here to do that live stream and then drive in to play games and then you know like the that bit of it so then you start to walk into like okay well you know you go get a space and you fill the space and you do things there and blah 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 and and uh and go through it that way but yeah i don't know i don't know it's it's hard to it's really hard to plan for that stuff because you know, this is only the second year for it and you don't really know what to expect. And so you go in knowing it's going to be bigger, but like I was not necessarily prepared for how much bigger the physical space aspect of it was, was going to be. 
And I thought that was pretty cool. That was that was very nice. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, we're kind of on the other side of that. And so we're, we're in this lull here where Gamescom will happen and there will be a batch of announcements there. But we're still, it's interesting. I didn't, I, I, I guess I should have expected it, but we're kind of in that weird, slightly slow summer period where there are not a ton of, well, I guess, you know what, Exo Primal is out at the end of this week. Um, and so maybe we'll take a look at that on Friday, um, and, and yeah, I don't know. Um, but things have, have, uh, have, have tapered off a little bit and that's kind of nice because it leaves a little bit of room for doing stuff, playing games. Like I was saying, I, I've been playing way more Diablo than I thought I would. Uh, streamed a little bit of that last week and um you know i'm still kind of i'm in world tier three i'm going through and fucking uh making things happen in hell like in or, or whatever um and so uh so that's been a good quiet game um i've been wanting to play i, w- I wish i could play street fighter but it is too noisy of a game to play from a button clicking perspective uh, to play in a room with a sleeping child. So Diablo is a good quiet game <laughs> for that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, I've, I've not, I wish, I wish I was playing hundreds of hours of street fighter, but, um, but instead I am playing almost zero hours of street fighter because I have just not had time to do any of it. Um, Whereas Diablo is just like, I don't know, man, hold this button down occasionally when the cooldowns pop, then, then click these buttons also. And it's just not, you know, um, it's not very loud, but I, you know, I can't really play mouse and keyboard games at night and I can't really play, um, uh, you know, fighting, you know, I'm hitting, hitting a lot of buttons all the time. Street Fighter six. I don't know if you know this. It's a game about pressing buttons. If you're not pressing buttons, you're, uh, you're losing baby. You got to hit all the buttons all the time. That's the, you don't. You don't do damage if you don't stick your hands and feet out there. And so uh, you got to keep sticking your hands and feet out there. You got to you have to mash all six of those buttons as hard as you can, as often as you can. If you want to play that game well. Period. End of story. Uh, That's that's a pro tip. That's that's a tip from someone who is disqualified from entering Capcom's professional events this year. Uh, They won't let me enter. They're afraid that I would be a ringer. They're like, Mm-mm, nope, you can't, mm, you cannot enter these. So that's just, that's a tip from me. That's a little tip from me. Um, I, I have played a couple of, you know, like a couple of new things, but like I said, I, I've, I've been enjoying Diablo four more now that I've hit world tier three. I came very close to giving up on it because it was getting pretty dull, but getting through that capstone dungeon that unlocks the third difficulty, unlocks a bunch of additional content with it as well. The hell tides and some of the, you know, some other kind of repeatable things you can do to keep leveling up your character and uh, that stuff, as well as just the general balance of that game and how you are playing. It feels a lot better in some weird ways. Tier three is easier than tier two because you're getting a lot of new gear. Uh, all, like I, I played hours of that game after finishing the campaign to get up to a level where I could go do that capstone dungeon that I barely got any new gear. It felt like you had kind of topped out of the gear that would drop on those two difficulties. And so, um, 
it was really freaking monotonous. And now you're on tier three and you're like, oh, well, this is like I'm getting a bunch of new shit again. And that's awesome. And these fights are like more engaging because the enemies have more going on. But also I am out gearing them in a way that I that never happened in, earlier in the campaign. And I feel like I'm like mowing motherfuckers down at a at a rate that was not happening uh, before. And um, that's that's a little weird, but it's been fun. I, I don't know. So I, I don't know how much longer I will necessarily stick with it, but it has been a good kind of relaxing end of the night kind of game lately. You know, now that I'm finished with uh, Mario's uh, Super Picross for the SNES, my end of the night game is uh, is Diablo 4. Pretty much the same thing. Pretty one-to-one there. Um, and then other than that, I've been uh, fooling around with Dave the Diver. This game... Dave the Diver felt like it was dominating some conversations for a a while there in a way that it was like, well, I guess I need to go look at Dave the Diver because everyone is talking about how incredible Dave the Diver is. And I played uh, a couple hours of Dave the Diver and I've been fiddling with it off and on and it's fine, but I don't get why people are going so nuts for it. Like it almost feels like a bit like, are you, I mean, it's okay, but it's it is it is good. But like people are raving about it, like oh, this is an amazing video, and I'm like, I okay, why? Well, uh, yeah, all right. So if you haven't seen it, Dave the Diver kind of uh, mostly takes place in in two phases, where you are splitting your time between diving and serving sushi. The diving portion of the game is like very slightly run based in that the uh, the sea itself will kind of change over time. Uh, you know, run to run, the layout of the ocean can change. Um, and so you go down there and you have to do like basically harpoon fishing and you you get fish. You find a bunch of other stuff down there. Eventually, like it, it keeps layering on systems, which is like entertaining. You know, it's like, okay, now I'm meeting the gun vendor and he teaches me how to fucking have guns down there. And so then for the stronger fish, you are shooting them instead of spearing them or shooting them and then spearing them, really. Um, and you're finding evidence of an undersea civilization. And so you're finding artifacts. And, and so people keep coming to you and being like, why don't you do this? And so it kind of gives you additional quests to complete while you're down there. And while you're down there, of course, you are oxygen limited. And also you can't carry all that much. And so you get to a point where you're like, okay, I have to go back now because I, I can't carry anymore and um, I need you to go back. And then time passes. And so basically you get two dives a day. And then at the end of the day, you have to go work at a sushi restaurant and uh, and serve the fish that you captured. You set the menu. You uh, can upgrade the dishes that you're, you're feeding people. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of systems there. You're pouring tea. You're picking up dirty dishes like a restaurant game. Um, and I don't especially like the restaurant game part of it, the management part of it. I, I don't think that that is fun to engage with the diving. I think is fun, even though I think that a lot of the aiming and shooting stuff is really, it feels very backwards control wise, where they want you to pull one button to start to, uh, aim and then another button to shoot. And it's like this backwards metal gear kind of thing. It's weird. Um, and 
you know, it sounds like that there are more systems after that, but I, I just kind of hit a point with it where I'm like, this is f- fun, but I, what it really made me want to do is play Ridiculous Fishing, uh, the, the Vlambeer classic, which I guess is coming or maybe has come to um, Apple Arcade. There, It is being re-released with some new stuff, but it is basically uh, a version of Ridiculous Fishing that runs on, on modern phones. Um, because the existing version was starting to become incompatible with modern iPhones. Um, and so that's pretty awesome. I, I love ridiculous fishing. It is such a good game. And so the idea that it's being re-released with even just, it sounds like there's not a ton new in there. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but you know, it, um, that's uh, ridiculous fishing is an incredible video game. And so I, I love it. Um, and so I, I guess I'm going to have to resubscribe to Apple arcade for another month. They're going to get me for one more month so I can play some ridiculous fishing again. (coughs) Um, but yeah, Dave, the diver, I I don't know. It's, um, it's fine. I, you know, but I, I, I guess I just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. The way people have been talking about it, like it's the second coming of something is really strange. I guess, you know, and it, it sounds like there are more systems and things that layer on or, or whatever over time. And, um, you know, maybe it gets there or whatever, but I just, I don't know I don't like half that game all that much. The, the, the sushi restaurant stuff, I just am not vibing with in any way, shape or form. So, uh, I wish I could dive more and sushi less. Um, but it's well made for what it is. Again, I wish that the aiming was uh, totally different from how it is. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, it's okay. Uh, I also played through Sludge Life 2, the sequel to Sludge Life. Um, if you played Sludge Life, you know what Sludge Life 2 is. It is Sludge Life 2 is Sludge Life, but with somehow even more cigarettes uh, the, the plot here is that you are now Big Mud's manager and Big Mud has gone missing and you got to shoot a video. You got to do a live TV appearance and Big Mud who is nowhere to be found. And so you got to go find Big Mud and then you find Big Mud and that's the end of the game. <laughs> and uh, you can, I think you can find Big Mud pretty early, but of course it's this big open world. Well, not, it's not massive, but you know, you're exploring this city that is larger than you might think it is. Uh, going around finding different places for you to put up graffiti tags. You are finding cigarettes. And then some characters will be like, I wish I had a smoke. And you're giving them cigarettes. Or you're just smoking them for yourself by holding down the C key. Um, fantastic soundtrack. Fantastic. Just a, 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 a wet look. Wettest game of the year is sludge life too? that game is fucking moist that game is 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 dripping it's oozing that game is like an open wound sludge life festers a little bit is what i'm saying um and uh it's just you know it, it's you are it is a first person game where you jump around and do shit and uh it's really good, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a, it's a really, it, it's just a, a, you know, in some ways it is a style over substance kind of game, but also on the other end, you're always finding little things. So I, I didn't even know this. 
I thought the achievements in the game were broken because I, you know, got to the end of the game. I found Big Mud. We went and did the thing, and and it was like, here's the end. Um, and I didn't get any of the achievements along the way. I started looking at the achievements, and I was like, I did a bunch of this stuff, but none of it unlocked. But apparently, you have to find a to-do list in the game before it will give you any of the achievements, which I thought was was cute. There's kind of a, you know, like the first game, it is a fake kind of OS, a fake desktop interface that you use as well. Um, and so a big part of that game is going around and, and finding the different graffiti spots and then figuring out how to jump your way up there. You get items that let you double jump and items that, you know, you get a glider that lets you kind of glide to different spots. And, uh, and, and so as you're getting those things, those are the things that you are using to like, Oh, now I can easily reach this graffiti spot that I was looking at for 20 minutes going, how the fuck do I get up there? And so eventually you go around, you hit all the, the graffiti tags and, 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 and get your name up everywhere and, and do some combo tags with the other artists in the city and smoke a lot of cigarettes. I can't, it, there it's funny how there's something very, and, and, you know, like metal gear obviously has its share of smoking in it, but like, Smoking cigarettes has been so fucking eliminated from culture. Um, you know what I mean? Like with between advertising restrictions, like you just don't find a lot of you just don't find nearly as many characters smoking as you used to in films and in television and whatever else. It's not to say it's gone completely, but it's a lot less. Um and so there's something kind of crazy to like, there's so much smoking in this video game. It just feels like Jesus Christ, man, what the, this, this feel, it, it almost feels illicit in a weird way. You're just like, man, everyone here's like, there's kids smoke talking about smoking. They're talking about how there's vitamins in the smoke in the cigarettes now. And like, it's, 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 uh, it's fucking funny. It's, it's really funny. Um, so I, yeah, the sludge life two is, uh, it's pretty fucking hysterical and it's a it's a great goopy fucking mess um like the first game you know again if you didn't see the first game then you're look at this and be like what the fuck's going on you know like uh, but it, it is very similar to the first game um as well so uh yeah i don't know it's uh it's really neat if you were at all interested in it uh, in the first game, then I think you should definitely give this one a look. Even if even if you might come away from it going, it's it's more of the same or or whatever. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's a good time, great soundtrack, and the soundtrack. You know, of course, they're selling the soundtrack on Steam and, and all that sort of stuff. If you want to listen to, if you just need to get your big mud on, um, you can. You absolutely can. Um, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and get into the news. There's kind of there's kind of a it's like a lot of little stuff added up. We've got energy drinks in the news. Um, you know, are our energy drinks going to be the next cigarettes? That's what I ask you, friend. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's July. So you know what that means. It means we're trying to figure out ways to keep cool at night. It's not cooling off at night like it used to. We have record temperatures during the day and then at night it's just it's not it's not cooling down. What are you going to do? You going to sweat the night away? 
I mean, I mean that in the bad way, not in the look. All right. Well, listen. Now there's a way for you to keep cooler at night when you're sleeping. That way is Miracle Maid's bed sheets. These sheets have been inspired by NASA. They use silver infused fabrics and they make temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. That's right. All night long. Even in the, you know, you have that thing where you wake up at one in the morning and you're like, I'm sweating like crazy. Is it because of the pork roast I ate several hours ago or the heat in the room? I can't even tell anymore. It doesn't matter. These sheets are designed to keep you cool and also keep you clean. The sheets are, the sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. So that means no more gross odors, you know, luxurious comfort and quality as well. Look, hey, if these sheets felt like garbage, it, the rest of it would be pointless. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. You know, so, hey, keep clean, keep cool. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores. That can cause breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. You want to get on board? Of course, of course you do. Look, I mean, of course you do. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use the promo code Jeff at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself. And thanks to Miracle Made for sponsoring the episode. All right, we're back. And it's time for the news. Where'd you find this? We made some more talk cocktails. All right. We didn't think anything was All right. Happen, it it's time for the news. The uh the Activision thing seems the Mac, the Microsoft Activision thing suddenly seems like it's very much going to happen. Um there are a couple stories this morning. The Federal Trade Commission has lost its attempt to file a preliminary injunction uh, against the merger, the the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft, um, this was something that uh, you know was not necessarily the full court case, but was the like, hey, we think that these guys are going to try to merge on July 18th if we don't stop them, so we need to file a preliminary injunction to stop that from happening, so that we can have time to prepare our actual court case. I think it is is basically how that went down. So, you know, we've been talking for the past couple of weeks uh, about um, some of the blow by blow stuff that's been going through here uh, as various documents have been entered into evidence and redacted or not redacted or, or whatever else. Um, And basically here, the court has said, no, the federal trade commission has not shown enough uh, evidence to, earn them that preliminary injunction. Uh, this is after documents upon documents, not upon documents. Um, 
And more or less, it's sort of a situation where I, you know, I, I wonder how much we'll see, you know, if there will end up being a full court case after this, or if this will be the situation where this go like, uh, fine. Um, video games, Chronicle has, uh, everyone has basically weighed in on this in, in different ways. Um, Video Games Chronicle as, as a portion of the ruling here. Here's something from the uh, from Judge Corley's ruling. Microsoft's Activision, uh, acquisition of Activision Ugh. has been described as the largest in tech history. It deserves scrutiny. That scrutiny has paid off. Microsoft has committed in writing, in public, and in court to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for 10 years on parity with Xbox. It made an agreement with Nintendo to bring Call of Duty to Switch. And it entered in several agreements to, uh, for the first time, bring Activision's content to several cloud gaming services. This court's responsibility in this case is narrow. It has to decide if, notwithstanding these current circumstances, the merger should be halted, perhaps even terminated, pending resolution of the FTC administrative action. For the reasons explained, the court finds the FTC has not shown a likelihood it will prevail on its claim. This particular vertical merger in this specific industry may substantially lessen competition. To the contrary, the record evidence points to a more consumer points to more consumer access to Call of Duty and other Activision content. The motion for a preliminary injunction is therefore denied. Um you know, and one of the things cited here, this ended up being, you know, more about Call of Duty than the cloud services in the in the UK, they tried to hang it all on the cloud stuff which which felt like a, a little flimsy in a way but uh is at least trying to protect what might be a future business someday whereas here the conversation was much more about call of duty and its relevance uh to playstation owners and and everything there um and so all of the documents microsoft file all of basically everything that went into the evidence uh, you know, they didn't find anything that was Microsoft going like, hey, 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 can't wait to fuck them over and not put Call of Duty on PlayStation. Um, the 10 year thing, you know, like who knows where this industry will be at for 10 years. But I think what we're looking at right now is the thing that we've, you know, I, I think everyone has been saying all along as they've been looking at this is that Microsoft is it would they would lose more money if they pulled call of duty from playstation than they would gain by making it exclusive you know what i mean in a situation where you're like oh okay um hey we're gonna pull this over and make it exclusive and now everyone's just gonna buy an xbox like mm, that it's not quite that cut and dried right so much like minecraft they make way more money putting that thing out in as many different places as possible. And I think call of duty is in that position as well. Um, in a way that the Bethesda stuff certainly is, is not, um, because we're talking about ongoing, constantly updated things. Obviously the model is different. Minecraft is one product and call of duty is an annual thing, but the, the flow is still relatively the same that these are, are more or less ongoing products. Whereas Bethesda ships single player thing once every seven years. And it's, uh, it's not really the same. You can't really compare those two things, um, in a, in a meaningful way. Um, so I, you know, yeah, I, I think in a situation where you've got something like Warzone that has become a free to play aspect of 
Call of Duty, you make your money in, in, in the free-to-play space. You need as wide a net as possible. Pulling it back and saying, no, now this is only available on Xbox kills it. They're fucked. They're, no one would care about Warzone at that point. As far as like esports, as far as, you know, like the, the player base just would not exist the same way it does uh, today. And I, I, you know, maybe over time people migrate to Xbox, but it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen at a fast enough rate that it replaces the amount of money that Microsoft would lose by pulling Call of Duty off of PlayStation. Um, and I think that that is, that is something that is how things are now. You look at this 10-year agreement about like, oh, for the next 10 years we're going to do this. Sure. But like, what the fuck does the... It, if in 2033, we are still worried about uh, Call of Duty because it is the biggest thing going in gaming, that's bad. <laughs> you know? Especially in a situation where you've now given Sony and Bungie and all the studios that Sony controls, and you know, you've given them a decade to say, come up with something and make it exclusive to your platform. And make it big. Bring back Kill Zone. Come up with something new. Whatever it is. Come up with something that is uh, at least like relatively competitive in this space. In a, in a situation that where it would be even more competitive if Call of Duty did not exist on PlayStation. If, they, if they're really worried that in 10 years that game is going to go away. And in 10 years that game is still going to be so hyper relevant. Man, I... It, the, the bummer thing is I probably would have said the same thing in 2013. Right? What was the Call of Duty game in 2013? It was like Modern Warfare 3, wasn't it? Ghosts. Yeah, man. If you would... Yeah, so... Who the fuck knows, right? Because the year that Ghosts came out, if you had told... Asked me to talk about Call of Duty in 10 years, I would have been like, Ghosts is fucking trash. This thing is done. (laughs) Like, this thing doesn't have five years on it, let alone ten. Um, and then, you know, in 2019, they they kind of found a way to bring it back. Um, after years of it kind of shitting the bed a little bit. Um, not monetarily. I mean, those games still sold. But, man, creatively, they, they really kind of scraped bottom there for a little bit. As much as I love Advanced Warfare, as much as that was, was one of my favorites, uh, it's it's hard to go back to. <laughs> it's a little hard to go back to now. Um, you know, Infinite Warfare. Like, oh man, they had a they had a rough go of it for a lot of years. Um, so I'll say it here though: if we get to twenty thirty three, and the biggest gaming franchise in the world is still Call of Duty, I will be surprised. I assume that the only way we get there is if it goes through a weird trench again of ghosts and all of the bad games and then comes back. Um, Someone in the chat is saying that the Infinite Warfare single player was good. I agree. That was a fucking cool campaign. They got fucking Infinite Warfare got raked over the coals for some bullshit reasons. Um, Where I think the Call of Duty fan base is fucking boring. And I think a lot of them are fucking very narrow-minded. But I also don't necessarily love the multiplayer in that game. 
they at least like tried to do wall running and, and all that other stuff. I just don't think that the wall running in Infinite Warfare was done all that well because I don't think the maps supported wall running the way that, say, Titanfall did. Um, was it me that went? Yes. So I was at the event where when they, after that, when they said they were going back to World War II and they kept using the words boots on the ground over and over again as a euphemism for like no wall run. Like they said, there's no wall running. And then like all the fucking influencers that were invited to the event were like, yeah. And I was like, fuck you. Fuck off. You're so boring. Infinite warfare was a neat campaign. Um, but the multiplayer and the multiplayer was, was not good. Um, but then they did world war two and you know what that game was boring as shit across the board. Holy smokes. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I also think, you know, I could see, I, you know, it, call of duty in Microsoft's hands, call of Activision in Microsoft's hands. I think Activision in Microsoft's hands is interesting for reasons that have nothing to do with any of the fucking games they're talking about. I look at it as like, okay, Microsoft is in a position where they need a wider portfolio. That's a big problem they have right now. They're not putting out enough games and they're not putting out enough, enough big games like a games, B games, you know, whatever kind of like th there's an undercurrent of games that they are certainly missing. Um, and a, a number of like big franchises that I think that they could be better about. And so I, I look at this and think like, yeah, man, fucking this potentially, okay. Activision fucking Bobby Kotick is, you know, the, the, the Activision we think of today obviously is never going to fucking care about another Tony Hawk game because they would have made one because they made a critically acclaimed one and then bailed on it. They, they had, a, they laid a new foundation for the Tony Hawk franchise to begin anew and instead said, no, fuck that. We need those people to work on fucking, uh, Overwatch two no what they whatever the fuck they they worked on Diablo right they they got sucked into some Blizzard hole um and and the Call of Duty hole as well but yeah they they worked on on Diablo four a little bit right um or yes the Diablo two remaster I suppose whatever it was but the you had that situation where you're like okay like after they've they managed to erase. The critical, the amazing, the astounding blemish that is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5. They managed to find a way to pull it all back together and be like, hey, here's Tony Hawk 1 and 2 in one package. It looks good. It feels fucking fantastic. Go. And then. What? It seemed like it sold okay. It was an amazing product. It came out at a great price. Nothing bad to say about it. Other than like, you know, like little nitpicky things like, oh, well, it's missing this or it doesn't have this song on the soundtrack or, you know, like little bits and pieces here and there. But it was incredible. And it could have been a launching point for more of those. That seems like a project that would have been 
you know, not the biggest budget project in the world, but also was able to make its money back and then some in, in a way that like other companies would care about. But Activision, because they're they have to fucking care about Call of Duty first and foremost. And they also have to, you know, whatever the fuck is happening in Blizzard and, and everything else. That they have to fucking pull all of this shit and go like, OK, well, that's neat that we did that. Let's never do another one. Microsoft. I don't think can afford to fucking throw that shit away. And I don't know that this means, you know, like, let's say this deal closes. I don't think they go and fucking announce Tony Hawk three plus four the next day or whatever. But I think that a, I think the Xbox game studios is a much friendlier place for those sorts of pitches than Activision has been for a long, long time. So I look at that stuff when I, when I think about this and go like, actually, maybe this is good for games overall. That's the stuff I think about um, a situation where, you know, and, and this game comes up way more than it deserves to. I, I it's, but it, it's also become, but I'll, I'll say the word singularity again, singularity. And again, I'm not talking about singularity as like, they need to bring singularity back. There needs to be a sequel to singularity. Like I, Singularity was a great example of a good first person game, a good, a good you know, a, a, a solid first person experience, a good single player campaign focused around a cool concept. B game across the board came and went. You don't need a ton of them. They could have made another one. It would have been cool to see another one. Um, but again, in the Activision ecosystem, you look at like the opportunity cost of like devoting a bunch of people to singularity Two versus like, what if instead you made maps for call of duty and kept these monthly active users up here instead of down, you know, like whatever it is, like they look at those things and go, okay, well clearly the business re you know, the, the business dictates that we're never going to make another singularity and you guys are never going to make another original game again. In fact, you've got to go over here in an ecosystem where Microsoft is a, a hardware manufacturer and so they need to provide an outsized level of support for their platform. They, and, and they're not doing that today. They're not shipping enough games for all the studios they've acquired. They're still not shipping enough games. They should be one of the best supporters for the Xbox ecosystem. And it just hasn't felt like that. So getting some more studios helps that. But also then you look at game pass and you look at the, the different types of games that can exist on game pass and, you know, in this day and age, asking people to go out and spend 60 or $70 on a game like Singularity is a tougher sell than it was back in 09 or, you know, whatever it was when the, when the game came out. Um, but now it feels like, you know, I, I think under Microsoft, whether it's those teams or those IPs separated from those teams because those teams have been scattered to the winds into, the, you know, they're in the Call of Duty mines whatever um it feels like there a world exists in which you know maybe one of the other studios that microsoft controls says like hey we would love to take a crack at, at tony hawk and here's a pitch for how we would do it or or whatever else you know and um i look at that stuff and then you look at the you know the the history the long history of the ip that activision controls um, and I don't know what you do there. I, you know, we bring what we do is you bring back Microsoft Game Room, 
and you put it on Game Pass and you start putting emulated games on Game Pass. Simple. This is what we've been building towards for over a decade. We are bringing back Game Room and now Microsoft finally controls Pitfall, River Raid, fucking Barnstorming. <laughs> um, and so they have their own first party in-house IP, Doom. Like, you know, like whatever. That's not an arcade game, I guess. So maybe, they, well, whatever. They had Atari 2600 games and, you know, whatever. Um, yes, rock and roll racing. Sure. Get the Blizzard stuff in there. Blackthorn. Reboot Blackthorn. Motherfuckers. I don't, you know, I don't, I, we don't need to swear about it. But yes, Venetian Blinds 2 can finally exist. I think there's just that there are, there's a lot of opportunity for those old games to, you know, like if we think about, and we'll, we'll talk about game, more game preservation type stuff later. This is not a great way to solve this problem because it's not an ownership situation. It's a subscription situation, but in a world where neither is the option that's uh, potentially better than nothing. I think that like a, a wing of game pass devoted to emulator type shit, mostly supported by the Activision IP as a kind of cornerstone of it that says like this stuff's not going anywhere. Maybe these Konami games will float in and out, but at the bare minimum, we own this shit. So we know Doom will be here. We know this will be here, you know. Um, that you could build a, a new kind of emulation-focused service and make it a part of Game Pass. Um, I think that there's potential there to do something. Um, again, in a world where nothing's being done, that's at least something. Uh... And so I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's aspects of this, of this acquisition that are exciting from those sorts of perspectives, right? When you think about like just the decades and decades of intellectual property that Activision has been sitting on and doing jack fuck with, and there's zero faith that they will ever do anything with it ever again. Um, this feels like a situation where maybe some of those things could happen. And that's how you get Phil Spencer wearing a Hexen shirt or whatever. Um, because then, you know, yeah, because uh, this stuff doesn't happen if, if an acquisition doesn't go down, right? Because again, Activision has zero interest. They've proven time and time again that they're going to be the Call of Duty factory until the factory fucking explodes and it literally cannot make another video game. So, you know, <laughs> um, we'll see, we'll see how it all goes. Assuming that it goes through the other, the other kind of piece of this is, um, an interesting kind of, uh, knock on, uh, development here. Over in the UK, the Competition and Markets Authority was had basically blocked the deal. They were the one stick out saying like, nope, nope, absolutely not. And there was an appeal process happening, but it sounds like that appeal process never really happens uh, in, a, in an amazing way. And, and so like it was sort of a, a big blocker. So there's been a lot of conversation then about like, okay, well, 
maybe this deal closes and then Microsoft or Xbox, I guess, does not do business in the UK anymore and they publish all their games or maybe it's just the Activision games or whatever it ends up having to be where um, that stuff ends up getting distributed by somebody else. There are workarounds in place is the point where they could still close this deal. Even if the UK is like, no, don't do it. And they could be like, check this out, fuck off and do it. Um, so additional news here out of video games, Chronicle, uh, the competition and markets authority has agreed to pause legal, legal proceedings with Microsoft and Activision blizzard in an attempt to reach an agreement over the game company's proposed merger. Um, we stand ready to consider any proposals from Microsoft to restructure the transaction in a way that would address the concerns set out in our final report. In order to be able to prioritize work on these proposals, Microsoft and Activision have agreed with the CMA that a stay of litigation in the UK would be in the public interest and all parties have made a joint submission to the Competition Appeal Tribunal to this effect. Um... Brad Smith, president of Microsoft, gave a quote here as well that says, after today's court decision in the U.S., our focus now turns back to the U.K. While we ultimately disagree with the CMA's concerns, we are considering how the transaction might be modified in order to address those concerns in a way that is acceptable to the CMA. Um, and so this effectively... Effectively, this brought the CMA back to the table. You know, the, 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 U, the U S decision made this, the CMA go like, fuck, because basically I, I wonder if that ends up costing the UK jobs. Um, if, if the, in a situation where they close this deal anyway, and the UK says no, and they say, okay, we just won't do business in the UK. And instead we will go through a third party distributor. Does that mean that a bunch of jobs leave the UK? Because they're like, oh, well, Xbox UK is shutting down um, because we don't do direct business in the UK you know, or, or Activision Blizzard UK is, is completely shutting down because now those games get distributed by the fucking Embracer group. Um, and they already have people to do that. In fact, they're in the middle of laying a bunch of people, you know, so uh, it could be a situation where, yeah, do they do they then have to. It depends on the scope of it, right? It would. I, I don't know that Microsoft would have to pull completely. Obviously, Microsoft would not pull completely out of the UK and be like, yeah, we just don't sell Windows over there anymore. But, you know, would it have to be something with regards to the game group? and Or, or is it just specific to Activision where they say like, oh, we own this, but Microsoft does not um, distribute the Activision products in the UK and they don't appear on Game Pass in the UK because we can't. Um, in that situation, like the UK is actually kind of getting fucked over. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really know what the, the situation here is. Um, Pactor, your boy, Michael Pactor, uh, and his homie, Nick McKay, also of Wedbush weighed in on this with a note to investors says, we expect Microsoft to move forward to close the deal by next Tuesday and expect the company to carve out its Game Pass subscription service in the UK in order to comply with the CMA ruling blocking the merger. In that narrow decision, the CMA ruled that the deal would not substantially lessen competition in any area, but could lessen competition in the streaming video game services segment 
we believe Microsoft can carve out Game Pass UK PLC as a separate operating subsidiary with an independent board charged with keeping Activision content off the Game Pass platform pending the conclusion of Microsoft's appeal with the CMA decision. This would likely satisfy the CMA and the deal should close by next Tuesday. So Pactor and, uh, seems to think that Game Pass gets spun out into its own company and that that company then says no Activision content for the UK um, at least until they finish the appeal process and figure out what it all is. Um, I don't know if that ends up being, I don't know if that's the uh, David Faber of CNBC according to this Video Games Chronicle story says Microsoft is offering a small and discreet divestiture to the CMA that it believes the watchdog will accept which small and discreet sounds much uh, smaller and discreeter than chopping up Game Pass into its own uh, PLC um, we'll have to see all this go- how all this goes but it's all going to happen fast because the deal remember when they signed this agreement uh, it all had to happen by July 18th or else uh, Activision could walk away with a billion, like billions of dollars in break fees. Was it billion? Yeah. Um, so they've got a week to uh, get this shit over the line. And uh, this really makes it seem like they will absolutely get there. Thousand percent. So... This also makes it sound like Microsoft is just like, hey, man, if we have to fucking, you know, if we, if, if we have to walk out of the UK in some way, shape, or form, if some part of our company has to leave the UK, we'll fucking do that too. So, again, and I wonder if that would cost jobs, and if the, I don't know, does the CMA want to look like they are anti-business, anti-jobs, all that other stuff? I have, I have no idea what the fucking political situation is over there on that front. Um, but they are, as far as I can tell, the last people standing attempting to block this deal or attempting to at least get more out of it. <clears throat> um, again, Steven Totillo has been really good about covering this on Twitter. Uh, he is at Axios, though he's been posting a lot more blow by blow stuff on Axios. Axios is really big on bullet points. Axios is really big on like, Here's five bullet points about a story uh, with, and that's all you need to know. There's a lot more depth here, but you don't need to know it. And so a lot of the exciting stuff I think is Totillo on Twitter. Um, But he says, basically, you know, as far as the court case here in the U S is concerned, um, there have been a lot of discussion during the hearings about the switch. And if it was part of the market that would be impacted, the court feels that the switch is part of it but said that the FTC had met the burden based on internal docs to show that the switch was not in the high end console market relevant to merger. It's one of the weird kind of side conversations that happened through this court ruling was a fucking insane, insane bit about like, well, is, is the, is the switch part of generation nine or is it part of generation eight or, you know, like really getting bogged down in these meaningless fucking Wikipedia fucking distinctions about the generation numbers that aren't even fucking real. Like you just wish you could pass a note to the court and says like, Hey, I've been covering video games for 30 years. What you were arguing about is fucking total bullshit. Just fucking don't even, it doesn't matter. Um, 
if it's Gen 8 or Gen 9 or, you know, like, oh my God, which is fucking bizarre. Um, and that the, additionally, the FTC and the court agreed that PCs were not in the relevant market. So it really just came down to them saying that this really was an Xbox versus PlayStation thing. Um, and whether the switch was involved or not is really kind of incidental. I don't know. I would say that the PC is more of a, because it, because the PC can traffic in that high end space, it seems to fit more, but I don't know, whatever PC is obviously just a whole different thing. It's a quote here about call of duty. It says, despite extensive discovery, including nearly 1 million documents and 30 depositions, the FTC has not identified a single document which contradicts Microsoft's publicly shared commitment to make Call of Duty available on PlayStation. Um, and so there's consistent testimony there. Um, no example of Microsoft pulling a popular multiplayer game from other platforms. The, the Bethesda cases were all single player. Um, Regarding the FTC's argument that Microsoft's Call of Duty promises aren't good enough, particularly Microsoft's Call of Duty offered to Sony, the judge says, The FTC's heavy reliance on PlayStation Chief Jim Ryan's testimony is unpersuasive. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, just leaning on Jim Ryan going like, It'll be bad! Over and over again uh, did not work. There's a highlighted bit here from the from the testimony that, that Totillo called out. It says, Sony opposes the merger. Its opposition is understandable. Before the merger, Sony paid Activision for exclusive marketing rights that allowed Sony to market Call of Duty on PlayStation, but restricted Xbox's ability to do the same. After the merger, the combined firm presumably will not agree to such restrictions. Before the merger, a consumer wanting to play a Call of Duty console game had to buy a PlayStation or an Xbox. After the merger, consumers can utilize the cloud to play on their device of choice, including, it is intended, on the Nintendo Switch. Perhaps bad for Sony but good for Call of Duty gamers and future gamers. So, you know, that's the sort of, I think the difference between some of the UK stuff and the US stuff is that the judge here, and this you saw this across the board, where the judge was not necessarily, uh, you know, well-versed in video gaming, but seemed to really be striving to really understand it in a way that is, I don't know, came off as like slightly admirable. I think we're so used to politicians and, and judges and legislators knowing jack shit about video games and just like coming in and going like, this is for kids. What is this? Gar-? You know, and, and really treating games like shit. The judge in this case didn't really seem like uh, she was doing that. Um, And that was nice. I don't know. That's like, is I guess that's a sign of the times thing that, you know, obviously gaming has been around forever. And this judge has probably grown up alongside. I don't know how old Judge Corley is, but, you know, the games have been around for a long time. And she took the job seriously and, and all of that sort of stuff. And that's the impression I got from from following this this stuff. Um, and that's nice. She seemed to focus on the actual argument about, like, tell me the numbers. What about the people? Whereas in the U.K., it felt like the UK bought Sony's argument rather than like looking at consumers and in the end kind of went like, oh, well, cloud gaming, that'll be bad for people, right? That's something we can say that doesn't look like it's just Sony's stuff. I don't know. Um, Weird, weird, but we'll see. Like I said, 
this deal seems like it'll it's it, you know over the next seven days here we're going to see this shit just happen um and i doubt that there will be any immediate effect especially while if there's still stuff in the uk that has to be sorted out i'm guessing that it takes time how long did it take it because it took a while for bethesda games to appear on game pass right like that was not some immediate change it wasn't like day one but it was pretty fucking fast um but yeah, I, so I, I wonder if we do end up seeing, and I wonder if Call of Duty ends up being the last one on the service because that's the one that has the most um, weird shit around it. Maybe you see a situation where literally they go back to the some of that backwards compatible 360 stuff and go like, oh, okay, we're putting, I don't know if Singularity is backwards compatible or not, just to keep saying the word Singularity on a fucking video game show. Uh, singularity is good it doesn't deserve we talk about it too much it's my fault I'm the one that keeps bringing it up but uh, but it is one of those games that felt like one of the last things under the wire uh, before before everyone fell into the call of duty hole I suppose so it, you know maybe they do one special final extra double final fucking uh, backwards compatibility list update even though they said they're never going to do it and they throw some of those 360 games on there, but also, you know, maybe we see stuff like Tony Hawk. Um, I'm trying to think more modern Activision stuff that is not call of duty. Um, or Diablo. You probably don't put Diablo on there immediately. Yeah. Crash. Maybe that crash game that just came out. Maybe they put that on there, huh? Um, Sekiro, someone chat, a couple of people in chat bringing up Sekiro. Sekiro would probably be, they would probably have to do something with From to kind of, uh, make it right with them to do that. I would think, I don't know. I don't know if they can just pull the trigger on that themselves if they own Activision or if they have to, uh, do some additional work. Um, but yeah, that what that crash game that's it's like a MOBA or something, right? The thing that just came out that no one is playing. That like I can't even think of the name of it. <laughs> uh is it Crash Team Rumble? Yeah, Crash Team Rumble. Maybe they throw that on Game Pass. Maybe that's like a last ditch like fuck. Shit. <laughs> God damn it. No one is playing this. Um And uh, what else? Gosh, what other shit has Microsoft or has Activision done? Guitar Hero would not be a possibility here. Yes, the true crime franchise. Finally, the prototype games. Yeah, that's right. The the prototype remakes came to Xbox One, or the not remakes, but like didn't they remaster the prototype games for for one and two? Yes. Th- Oh man, yes. Serionix brings up the Geometry Wars. This 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 brings Geometry Wars home. I hadn't even fucking remembered that. But yeah. I guess Project Gotham uh, technically as, as well, huh? But the that developer is no longer but they, Microsoft probably already controlled PGR. But the developer is long gone. Um, this sets up a situation. I mean, I, I again, 
I think if you're Microsoft and you're in this like kind of weird, they're still in this weird brand building phase of like their shit is broken. The Xbox one did a number on them. They need to have some feel good moments as well as some big hits. Geometry Wars is not necessarily a game that moves a ton of units, but goddamn, if they said, hey, Geometry Wars is back and we're making a new one and we've got Stephen Cakebread in here and we're doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's a feel-good story that I think people would be excited about. I would, I would be excited about it. But again, Activision would never have the incentive to do it. But Microsoft probably has a lot more incentive to do it. Because Geometry War, I still, you know, even with Activision putting that, those last games out on multiple platforms, um, those games were not, the, that, those are non-canon Geometry Wars games as far as I'm concerned. Geometry Wars 3 is not terrible, but it's not Geometry Wars 1 or 2. Those games are... I would still rather play either one of those games than Geometry Wars 3. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of potential there simply because I think that um, Microsoft is just better incentivized to do more with more parts of Activision, especially with the amount of money they're paying for it. They're like, fuck, man, anything we can... Anything we can do to try to start and make some fucking money back off this deal. I don't care how small. Yeah, you want to make a new Geometry Wars? Let's fucking do it. Let's, uh, you, you have a fucking brilliant idea for a new Pitfall game? Let's fucking figure it out. I would love to see them make a new Pitfall game. I, but also, every Pitfall game past Pitfall 2 is bad. So, I don't know. Um, anyway, we'll see how this all goes. It's, uh, you know, it is also still an acquisition and merger and, and all that stuff is fucking icky, but also Activision has been more than icky for kind of a while now. So... I don't know where that nets out on your fucking morality compass, but this probably means that we get to a point here before too long, maybe another year, whatever it ends up being, where we don't have to think about Bobby Kodak anymore. He can just go somewhere else and be the guy from Moneyball. And, uh, That'll be that, right? More government action in uh, in the gaming culture space. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer has called on the Food and Drug Administration to investigate crime. The energy drink, uh, the the energy drink brought to you by Logan Paul, professional wrestler Logan Paul. Um, and some other guy, I don't know, um, that, uh, they have been selling this prime energy drink. We tried the prime energy drink. I remember there's a few different flavors. I think we ended up trying two of them and they ended up being okay. 
let's call up the list here. Um, and I will tell you, I'll just look at it on screen here. Let's look for P-R-I-M-E. So yeah, the Prime Energy Tropical Punch is at number 26 on our list, and Prime Energy Orange Mango is at 34. Those are both pretty well-ranked. Uh, those are pretty good. On a, on a list of drinks that has 126 drinks on it, that's a pretty... Those are pretty good. Um, And they were. They were decent drinks. They were, they were all right. I have not had more of them since. I know there's a couple of other flavors out there. Anyway... This is, there's a really good sentence on here and I, I, we should find this speech. Oh, here, actually, maybe I can, maybe this, oh yes, it's Chuck Schumer holding up a fucking piece of paper with a fucking Red Bull on it. Um, yesterday afternoon and to think, uh, this is, uh, this is USA Today has a video package on this. Homes were intact. No, I'm sorry. It has already rolled on to the next story. This is about luxury homes getting destroyed. Okay. Let's see if we can play this audio. One of the summer's hottest status symbols for kids is not an outfit. It's not a toy. It's a beverage. But buyer and parents beware because it's a serious health concern for the kids it so feverishly targets. And the problem here is that the product has so much caffeine in it that it puts Red Bull to shame. But unlike Red Bull, it is specifically targeted. The advertising campaign is targeted at kids under 18. I'm releasing a letter this morning asking the FDA to investigate Prime for, number one, its claims, number two, its marketing aimed at kids, and number three, its eye-popping caffeine content. Um, We as physicians are very concerned these drinks and the amount of caffeine in these drinks can give children and teens headaches. It can give them jitters, nervousness. It can interfere with the sleep cycle, which is so important to the developing brain. And we Eye poppers. Science, we've seen it happen before that when these products are marketed and advertised in this flashy, cool way through influencers and celebrities, the first audience that is listening, that is ready to purchase in whatever way they can purchase are kids. Sensation, sensation drink aimed at kids called crime. You know, yesterday yeah, afternoon. Okay. Um, so that's Chuck Schumer and, and some uh, pediatrician talking about Prime, which again, is an, it's an energy. So there's two variants of Prime. There's Prime Energy, which is, uh, it's kind of a smaller can Red Bull sized drink um, that has 200 milligrams of caffeine. And then there is Prime Hydration, which is more of a Gatorade type thing. And I guess that does not have any caffeine in it uh, whatsoever. <clears throat> Um, and so I guess the, the, what Senator Schumer is alleging here, which I, I guess I I can't really push back against is, is they're saying that, Hey, uh, by, you know, it's a drink made by these fucking YouTube guys and they're marketing it. They're pushing it directly to kids in their videos. They're pushing it all over the place. There's no advertising standards here that is preventing them from doing that. We need to figure out, you know, what, what kind of regulatory things we can be doing. He's not saying that prime shouldn't exist. He's just saying that they are constantly advertising it to kids. 
which I, I can't, I can't argue with that as an energy drink aficionado. I, yes, I, I, I do think that it's pretty fucked that I, cause I, I guess it's, it's hard to, to, to back up a little bit. I don't know who the fuck watches Logan Paul. I don't know what the demographic that's like interested in what the fuck Logan Paul is doing is. Um, is it, is it kids? Why would kids watch? I don't like who would the, like that guy seems like he fucking sucks. Um, and, and it doesn't seem like he's necessarily making content that is for kids, but I think we've probably look, uh, okay. To back up again, there's probably a larger problem around YouTube and the availability of that sort of content to children and the sorts of stuff that children can get involved with as a result of just having their own tablet and watching YouTube and, you know, and, and, and parents not necessarily knowing what their children are consuming online. So I look at it as starting there as like, why would kids be like Logan Paul's content doesn't really seem like it is meant for children, maybe teens, maybe late teens. And I might say that someone age 15, 16, if you want to go drink a drink that has 200 milligrams of caffeine in it, fucking whatever. Um, the, the USA today story is pointing out that prime has more than six times the amount of caffeine as a Coke. Is that, is that a problem? If you're 10, yes. If you're 15, 16 as a not doctor, um, eh, eh, (laughs) you know, um, I'm trying to map this onto like, where would it be weird for my kids? How old would my kids need to be before I was like, yeah, go ahead. Drink a, even just drink a Coke, even drink, like have any caffeine at all. Um, and I think like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't know. So I was, you know, I was in junior high, meaning I was 11 or 12, 12 or 13, actually, I suppose when jolt came out and was making the rounds and jolt uh was sold on the idea that it was twice as much caffeine as a regular soda um but that didn't stop me from drinking three or four of them in one go like not every day but like so i had a friend we would get together on the weekends we would rent movies and games And we would get like a lot of soda and we would, you know, he'd spend the night at my place, vice versa, whatever. And we would play games and, and drink fucking sodas. And, and so, and we were both pretty into jolt. I don't remember ever it ever having a fucking huge effect, honestly. And that's going to vary person to person, but I don't remember jolt ever being like, a big deal. I drank a lot of it because it was well marketed, but the twice the caffeine thing never really, uh, it, it's, it's never really seemed like that big of a deal. 
obviously six times like in drinking a six pack of coke in one thing uh is is a little different especially if you're drinking two of them or something like that 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 gets to be a lot fast um i mean what i'm drinking right now is 300 milligrams of caffeine so the the 200 milligrams in prime i look at it it's like <laughs> pish posh but for kids it's a different situation um, and Jolt was a full sugar soda on top of all of that and, you know, and, and everything else. So these drinks are low to no calories on top of that. But there is an amazing phrase here or an amazing kind of quoted phrase here um, from the Associated Press report on this. Schumer alleges that unclear marketing targeting young kids leads parents to purchase a, quote, cauldron of caffeine. Hang on. Cauldron. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, there we go. Cauldron of caffeine. Um. <laughs> Which I would, I would love to buy a cauldron of caffeine. Where can I get that? Where the fuck is that? Because I'm drinking these drinks that have 300 milligrams. This spike has 350 and they ain't shit. Actually, that's not true. I don't, I do not want a cauldron of caffeine because I, you know, I don't want. I drank that red line and I don't want any more of that ever again. Um, but prime is not red line. If, if, <laughs> if red line was being marketed to kids, I would be like, call the cops, man. I want to see videos of cops fucking busting up cans, boxes of red line with a bat. Uh, get it off the goddamn streets. Um, Prime Energy sold in a can dropped in 2023 and contains a comparable amount of caffeine to other top-selling energy drinks, all falling within the legal limit of the countries it sold in, said public relations representatives for Prime. It complied with all FDA guidelines before hitting the market and states clearly on packaging as well as in marketing materials that it is an energy drink and it is not made for anyone under the age of 18. Um, and then this, this USA Today article has like TikToks of a kid in a fucking car seat holding two cans, uh, two bottles of Prime. It's, the, it's not the caffeinated one. It's the, the hydration one. But he's holding two of them, one in each hand and going, yeah, uh, like he's super fucking pumped. And, um, but that's the thing I keep seeing, like both of these videos that they are showing are kids drinking the hydration one, not the energy one. Like they can't even find examples of, of people drinking the, because the energy ones come in the cans. So it's, I don't know. This here's Logan Paul doing a fucking awful dance with a bunch of primes on TikTok, and it has 500,000 likes and then some. And he looks like a real jack off doing it. This does not make this makes me want to undrink the, the drinks that I had. It's so bad. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I can't fully refute what Schumer is saying here. In in so far as I think that all of this stuff should be clearly labeled, and parents should know exactly what they're getting. And, um, the other thing I guess I would say is I think a lot of parents are fucking dumb 
and their kids just ask for stuff and they just go, here you go. Because I think if you were a sane parent, you would not buy an energy drink for your 10 year old. Um, period. Especially if there was an alternative that did not have caffeine in it. That was the one that they're actually promoting. Like if you look at him dancing, it's not the energy drink that he's dancing with. It's the, it's the fucking shitty fake Gatorade. Um, so I, yeah, lot, yes. People in the chat saying lots of parents buying their kids Starbucks coffee. Yeah. I'm fucking so against that, man. I'm so, I don't know. So I, I probably am on the far side of the, the scale on this one where I used to see kids when I was in high school, I would see kids drinking coffee and I would go, what the fuck? Like it, it really, it just seemed fucking wrong to me. Like, like more wrong than kids sneaking out. Like, like there was a girl who had to get, uh, who had to leave school with alcohol poisoning because she took a water bottle at lunch and filled it back up with vodka. And I was like, that's terrible, but I get it. But like kids drinking coffee, even teens seems so fucking wrong to me. And it's specifically coffee, like drinking a Coke or a Pepsi or, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, But like when I see kids with coffees, it's just like, don't do that to them. <laughs> don't get them into this bullshit. And so I, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to reconcile all of those different things. But yeah, I, I don't I did not have any coffee type drinks until I was in my I. I was a a uh, I was probably a a regular recurring drinker of malt liquor for a few years before I ever had coffee. I guess I would say I was probably in my mid twenties at least before I had coffee. Even when Starbucks blew up in the nineties, or at least like when when a Starbucks finally was put into my town, um, and people were like, "We got to go to Starbucks." I was like, all right, "I guess, all right." Um, I was getting drinks that didn't have coffee in them. I was getting fucking, you know, whatever the milkshake, the, the Frappuccino things. Um, and I just, I just, I didn't, I, I mean, I still don't really like coffee, but, uh, but anyway, I think it, it, this is, this is the sort of stuff that I look at and go like, yeah, there probably needs to be some kind of regulation on the advertising and marketing of this stuff. But I also think this is a, a weird one to focus on because I think that people need to be, and, and I mean, I mean, parents, but also potentially regulatory bodies need to be looking at influencers and the way uh, things get marketed to kids or, or anyone really in, in this day and age, because I think the law is, is behind the technology in a zillion different places. Right. And so stuff that like, obviously you can't, we were talking about cigarettes earlier and the way you cannot market cigarettes, um, the same way you used to decades ago. Where is Joe camel now? Um, and that, you know, the, the stuff that's happening on 
YouTube and, and whatever else, I think just kind of doesn't happen in the same way. And there probably needs to be something more done around that for these people that blow up and, you know, like the, these, these kind of full on professional influencer types like a Logan Paul, um, you have to figure out how, how you're going to allow these kids to be marketed to and, and, and everything else. I think, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is there, but it, it feels like that, that that's the, the thing we're actually talking about here is, um, parents not paying close enough attention to what their kids are into, because if their kids are watching this Logan Paul shit, like, it, like this doesn't seem like it's made for young children. Um, I don't know. I saw a lot of R-rated movies when I was a kid, though, too. And and look at me, I'm fine. I don't know, but I I, I it's uh, I don't know. There was a regulatory body involved with with movies, though, and and YouTube stuff is just kind of out there. So I I, I don't know. I I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens here. If this ends up being a situation where, you know, if it ends up being really narrow, then you, you create a situation where like, um, you know, Logan Paul can't talk about his energy drink on the internet anymore, which I, okay, sure. But I think there's a larger, there's probably a, a larger thing to aim for here than just that. Um, we'll see. I mean, we'll even see if the FDA even picks it up and actually decides to look into it or not. That's sort of the, uh, the the other piece of this um in other news ea has uh confirmed the existence of a new studio called cliffhanger games and um that studio is working on a black panther game that is that information kind of leaked out a, a while ago almost a year ago now if, if, if i think about it um and uh According to Video Games Chronicle, that studio was formed in 2021 and is being run by Kevin Stevens, who ran uh, Monolith, the developers of Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of War. Um, Yeah, one would hope that they eventually make a game based on Cliffhanger, you know, something good for a change. Uh, we want our game to enable players to feel what it's like to be worthy of the Black Panther mantle in unique story-driven ways, and we want Cliffhanger Games to empower everyone on our team as we collaborate to bring this amazing world to life. We're still early in development with a long road ahead, but we know the foundation to any great story is to build an experienced team with diverse voices and perspectives, and that's exactly what we want to build, especially with a superhero as important as, important as Black Panther. Um... A little bit here about the game, I guess. We're dedicated to delivering fans a definitive and authentic Black Panther experience. uh, Giving them more agency and control over their narrative than they have ever experienced in a story-driven video game. Wakanda is a rich superhero sandbox. And our mission is to develop an epic world for players who love Black Panther and want to explore the world of Wakanda as much as we do. Okay. Yeah, was the, 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 a game about the other Black Panthers would be pretty interesting. <laughs> um, 
In other EA news, UFC 5 has been announced and they will, uh, I guess, reveal it fully in September. They put that up on Twitter. They put out a logo that says, hey man, UFC 5. Um, and Video Games Chronicle, again, there's a, a little bit here, I guess, in a, in a studio-wide email uh, at EA Canada, where the game is in development, uh, they are going to be focusing on UFC 5 for the foreseeable future. We're very excited about UFC 5, and we want to eliminate the split focus that several members of our leadership team have had over the past while, so we can focus solely on delivering migration and UFC 5 at high, at high quality. Um, I suppose this is because that studio was also apparently working on uh, a fight night game. But UFC uh, has uh, has won out, and that they are still they are Fight Night is basically either on hold or dead. I don't know which, but they are no longer working on Fight Night because they are focused on getting UFC out the door. Um, which probably makes sense. Again, I you know, boxing. Eh. <laughs> How, yeah, how many people, what, the the overall number of people who are interested in UFC compared to the overall number of people that are still interested in boxing, I suppose, is the thing we're trying to figure out, right? Um, I don't, you know, you don't have any, yeah, three oct in the chat says, name more than three boxers, uh, Muhammad Ali, Larry Spinks, Mike Tyson. George Foreman, the grill and these guys, Jake Paul. Um, there you go. I mean, they, instead they should just make a Jake Paul game. If you actually wanted to make a boxing game and have it like be a big deal, just do a Jake Paul punch out clone or something. I don't know. Boxing just doesn't seem, you know, and, and I've seen some of those Jake Paul fights and I, I've not to just like fucking have like, we're going to, that's every week from here on out, we're going to have an hour devoted to what Jake and Logan Paul are up to. And, uh, we'll, we'll divide ourselves into camps. If you're part of the low gang or not, uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fucking represent man, the maverick. Um, I went from wanting uh, Jake Paul to wanted to see Jake Paul get the shit beat out of him to actually now I just want to see him beat the shit out of everyone and became and become the world's best boxer because I think that would be way funnier um, if he just became the world's only known boxer and he boxes all these other guys but no one fucking gives a shit no one tunes in to go like who's, who's this guy. He was going like, ah, oh, here's another fucking guy that Jake Paul's going to beat. I don't know, but he did. He did finally lose. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you make a video game? How do you sustain interest in a sport when the only person people know about is Jake Paul, and they don't necessarily know him from boxing? They know him as this fucking other guy from YouTube that became a surprisingly better boxer than you would think. And, uh, is out there doing his thing. 
whether he's fighting people that are way under him skill wise or not, I don't know whether, whether it's fixed. It's always tempting to say that boxing is always fucking rigged and maybe it is who the fuck knows who the fuck knows. But like, that's the, the only interest in boxing seems like it's around that one dude. Um, and like, you know, Manny Pacquiao, you know, there's, there's still, you know, Floyd Mayweather, but like these guys have been around for a long time. Like who are the, new up up and coming boxers that people that are household names. Um, it just doesn't seem like that's a thing. And so now like what, like the best boxing events are fucking not the best, but like the, I feel like the only boxing events I ever hear anyone talk about, and maybe this has more about the fucking people I fucking run with. It is, uh, either Jake Paul's fighting or it's a bunch of fucking YouTube guys are fighting on pay-per-view. Which I I don't fucking get like, sure. Okay. Like the only boxing events that people care about are boxing events that are making a mockery of boxing. I think that says everything you need to know about the idea of fight night, maybe not being a high priority over at EA right now. Um, so, uh, you know, who the fuck knows? Um, but yes, UFC five will happen. I, EA's UFC games are certainly not bad, but, um, I, they, you know, they don't make them annually, which is smart, but I also feel like when UFC four came out, I played it and I was like, Maybe this still somehow came out too soon because I don't know that I needed a UFC four at that point, but I, I guess I'm just not, I'm not that into UFC, uh, either. So, um, you know, obviously UFC is still vastly, you know, widely popular with some folks and I'm sure that, that they, they care all about that stuff. When UFC was coming out on the Dreamcast. Those were awesome games when Anchor was making them and they were like vaguely Tekken-esque but with a cool ground game. Ugh. That fucking game was great. That Pride game that came out that was basically the same engine. Those were fucking cool games. Those early UFC games were were really neat. Um, And that's the era when I cared about UFC. Honestly. Like the... when When UFC was broken... When UFC was lawless, when UFC's only rules were like, don't put your fingers in the other guy's mouth (laughs) and don't hit him in the back of the head, I guess. Uh, But also, we're going to put small dudes versus big dudes and chemo's going to kill everybody. uh, There was just, I don't know. Let's go watch Tank Abbott get fucked up. Let's go watch a bunch of guys that fucking look like they belong in a bar fight. uh, Fighting each other like that. That was exciting. And then when they suddenly had weight classes and rules and they were like, we're going to make it so only one person fight. You you don't have to fight three times a night anymore. I'm like, well, okay. I want to see some fucking, I want to see Sakuraba fucking do some ill shit and fuck up a guy three times his size. That's what I want to see.
now everyone's like well trained and it's safer and all of this other stuff and that's better in a lot of ways like don't get me wrong i'm not fucking crazy but man that i mean that's when it all was happening right it was it was fucking ufc tapes in the video store right next to bum fights and cky it was all the same shit it was all identical it was all this like fucking like faces of death light it was like look at this wild shit look at this this dude broke that fucking dude's arm i'm pretty sure um like that stuff was just way more engaging i don't know um so i don't know ufc everyone fights the same now and and, uh well that's not entirely true but everyone trains to fight in ufc as opposed to that era when they would be like fucking gary goodrich is here that dude knows cook sul Wan," and you're like what the fuck is cook sul you're like all right man and it felt like street fighter it felt like hey man we're having a martial arts tournament over here and everyone knows different shit and then suddenly everyone was just like, oh, I need to learn a little bit of this and I need to know a little bit of this and I need to know a little bit of this. And everyone trained against the rules of UFC, of the rules of MMA. And so everyone just became a little bit more homogenized. Uh, and that's just, I don't know, that's less interesting to me than just like the hey, here's one guy who is like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master and he's going to fucking break everyone and you're going to watch it and go like, holy shit, that guy fucked everybody up. Yes. <laughs> um, workers at Sega of America have voted to unionize. That's right. Under the name Allied Employees Guild Improving Sega or Aegis. They have, uh, this is a, a majority, according to Eurogamer, 144 employees spread across marketing, localization, product development, and quality assurance at Sega of America. They announced back in April their intent to unionize, and they have had the vote, and they have won the vote a, at a 91 to 26. Um, the NLRB has certified the results, and so that makes Aegis the fifth video game union in, in the United States according to Eurogamer, uh, following Zenimax. Uh, there's a union at Zenimax, a union at Raven, one at Blizzard Albany, and a Tender Claws, an indie developer uh, doing VR stuff. Um, uh, Angel Gomez, a translator at Sega, says, we are overjoyed to celebrate our union election win as members of Aegis CWA. Now through our union, we'll be able to protect the parts of our jobs we love and strengthen the benefits, pay, and job stability available to all workers. That's solid. It's awesome. Congratulations to, uh, to the, the new union over there at Sega. Trying to protect themselves in an, in an era where it's just getting fucking crazier and fucking worse out there uh it's nice to see some folks trying to come together to try to protect themselves uh from their employers you know which is like a crazy thing to have to be that that is the way it is um you know there's sega news i guess this isn't actually sega news yuji naka has been found guilty of insider trading uh he basically admitted to this so this isn't a huge surprise. Um, 
Yuji Naka has been given a prison sentence that he will not serve as long as he is a good boy, but he does have to pay a $1.2 million fine, according to Polygon, who has done the dollars to the yen to dollars translation here. He is on a suspended sentence for four years. So as long as he does not break the law for four years, he will not have to go to prison. His prison time was for two years and six months. Um, and so I, I, I think that means that even if he makes it like three and a half years in and then fucks up, he will then have to go serve the full two years. Um, if you remember correctly, you know, if you remember this was stuff late last year, uh, that he was nailed twice for insider trading while he was, I guess, working on Balan Wonderworld. He, you know, he was, he was a Square Enix employee. And he was accused of buying shares in a couple of smaller companies that Square was about to announce partnerships with, including um, a developer called Aiming, which uh, is developing a mobile game called Dragon Quest Tact. A real lack attack on Yuji Naka's part, am I right? Mm-hmm. Um, and another uh, developer called A-Team, which was the developer for Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier. That's the Battle Royale Final Fantasy game that uh, is shutting down or just shut down. I forget what it is. Um, And so they made, uh, again, according to the story coming out of the the GG Press, which uh, Polygon has translated, uh, Naka, along with another Square Enix employee named Taisuke Sasaki, were uh, said to have made hundreds of millions of yen in the deal, which translates to millions of dollars because 140 million yen is $1 million American. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I, so now where's the timetable on this, right? I, Cause I, that was November and December when he got popped for the insider trading. So that's late 2022. Um, he was removed from development of Balan Wonderworld six months before it launched in 2021. And he was attempting to sue them uh, for that, but no. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I don't know. It does, I don't know that that went all that well. I, it doesn't, we don't know how that resolved. Um, And it's just, I, I'm trying not to, it's, it's a, it's a fucked up situation, but he obviously did it. He admitted to doing it in court. He said, yep. And sounds like, uh, he maybe did not really show any remorse over it was in court was just kind of like the thing that you're saying I did. I've yes. Yes, I did do that. Yes. You've. You've got it accurately. I did, in fact, access the documents about who was developing these games. And then I did, in fact, immediately go buy shares of stock in those companies before the announcements went public. Uh, come at me, motherfucker. And I don't know. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he does not have to serve any jail time, assuming he stays in the, the on the straight and narrow for four years. Um. And, um, 
Yeah. Was the, yes. I suppose the question is, was, was this retaliatory? Did, did the insider trading stuff only come to light because of what went down at the end of Balan Wonderworld's development? Did that then, did someone out of spite say, yo man, fuck that guy. Did you know we did this shit? And everyone's like, yeah, we know we did that shit. They're like, yo, let's tell the cops he did that shit because check this out. Fuck that guy. You know, I could see with, with the way that he was in the wake of Balan Wonderworld and how kind of salty he was about that shit. I could see a situation where someone on the other side of that said like, okay, you want to to come at us? This is, we're the final fantasy people. We don't play. We're the Balan Wonderworld people. Like it's bad enough that they had to ship Balan Wonderworld. Then they got to deal with this guy doing insider trading and trying, and then trying to sue him. So yeah, who knows? Maybe he, uh, perhaps he did fuck around and find out as they say. Um, but I doubt we'll ever know that part of the story because if there's one thing that uh, Japanese business is good at doing, it's shutting the fuck up. So give it 20 years and maybe we'll find out. And uh, yes, uh, yeah, you just, yeah, if you, yes, he needed to build the Tower of Tim's in reality. He wanted to build a real life Tower of Tim's. Uh, you know, he wanted to li- he wanted Balan Wonderworld to be real and he needed the money to fund it. Can you blame him? <clears throat> Our last story. Uh, is, is kind of a long time coming and it's one of those things that I think if you've been following video games at all closely is, is not going to sound necessarily shocking to you, but, um, Presenting it this way has actually been really good because it got a lot of pickup and I think will help highlight the issue in a way that it has not been highlighted before. The Video Game History Foundation has issued a new study where they say that 87% of old video games, classic video games, are no longer available for sale. They're completely out of print. The way they put it is 87% of classic video games released in the United States are critically endangered. Um, which means that just 13% of video game history is being represented in the current marketplace. Uh, they went ahead and, um, you know, along with some volunteer efforts on their side, they have, they have been putting these numbers together and crunching them for quite a long time. Um, and their goal here is to shine a light on just how shitty the situation is when it comes to the preservation of video games. When it comes to um, video games being available to libraries, being available in, in ways that help researchers and educators and everything else. You know, because if you think about it, you know, right now, if you want to play old video games, and we'll, we'll say legally, you also have to go out there and collect and acquire a bunch of vintage hardware. There are other, you know, there are some ways around that, but like, you know, you, in a lot of cases, and they looked at, they dug into a handful of platforms to kind of arrive at this number. You know, they looked at like the Commodore 64 and, and the Game Boy and, 
and a lot of stuff like that. And, um, and basically found that like, you know, these games are not available for sale in any reasonable way anymore. And by reasonable way, I mean, you know, not available on modern platforms, not available for people to purchase. And so large parts of video games history are pretty much inaccessible. And so the, the thing you equate that to is like, you know, movies don't go through this in the same way. Books don't go through this, uh, in, in the same way, because you can still find books. If you still get the old books, they still work. They're still just books. Uh, music is still music. You can release it in a variety of formats. You can still find a record. You can still find a, you know, that's not to say that none of it, none of no music, no movies, no books are being lost, but you don't have to buy a new piece of hardware or, or, or a new old piece of hardware in order to, in order to watch these movies. The movie industry is much better about reissuing its stuff on modern formats over and over again. So it's very rare that you get a case where it's like, oh, this movie's only available on fucking RCA fucking selected disc or whatever the video disc bullshit format that no one fucking knows about anymore or whatever. Like that stuff comes out. It's on a streaming service. It's on a Blu-ray. Well, not on streaming services as often as you'd like. Um... But with video games, obviously, you end up being in a situation where not only do you need to get a copy of the game, you then need to find the hardware that runs it. And that is a high bar, um, and especially as collectors and everything else, you know, that becomes an increasingly expensive bar as well. And so organizations that would normally de be devoted to preserving literature, movies, all of this sort of stuff are basically iced out for a variety of reasons. One of them is that the video game industry through the ESA is constantly trying to fight against copyright exemptions that will allow researchers, libraries, and, you know, reputable organizations to be able to kind of get around the DMCA in order to provide access to these games to people um, in a variety of, of methods. And so... Part of this study getting out there is, you know, they are looking to continue to fight the ESA uh, in court, I suppose, as this goes through to get those exemptions for researchers, to get those exemptions for uh, libraries and, and things of that nature. Um, and so a big part of this seems like it is, you know, uh, a big part of that. And so this is well-timed because obviously the, the well, not, not obviously, but the DMCA uh, will undergo a new rulemaking proceeding in 2024. And so they are hoping to put this study out there in a way that helps their fight for change when it comes to uh, these sorts of uh, issues. And so they've broken things down. They looked at uh, the Game Boy family of platforms. They looked at PlayStation 2, Commodore 64 as kind of example platforms that they could extrapolate data from and try to figure out, like, is a game still in print? And so when you get to the Game Boy, you have a situation where, like, for example, uh, you know, that Konami Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles collection just came out and effectively reissued a few Game Boy games along the way. Um, They've broken down some percentages here, and it's actually the Game Boy one is the most damning in a way, because right now, 
according to this, I guess out of maybe it was April 15th was the cutoff for their data. 5.9% of a Game Boy, that means Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and GBA games um, are available for purchase. Um, that number used to be higher, but 6.5% of the Game Boy library disappeared when Nintendo shut down the eShops on the 3DS and Wii U. So even the reissues are getting shut down. Um, that obviously sucks. And that obviously means that, you know, when we get to this situation where when you look at a case where like, hey, they're saying that 12% of PlayStation 2 games released in the United States are in print and available for purchase. That means 48 games, by the way. We're not talking about some massive number here. Literally 48 games. But what happens if the next PlayStation comes out and it's not backwards compatible? What happens if the PlayStation 4 and 5 stores shut down someday? Like, these numbers are still in flux. 18 Commodore 64 games are in print. Um, And again, those are games released in the United States. So the Commodore 64 numbers if you went worldwide with them, I think would be even more grim. Um, And so this is a number that is in a lot of ways getting worse over time. And so it's fucking gross. Uh, And they note here that most classic Commodore 64 games are only available through a single service called AntStream Arcade. If AntStream shut down, the availability rate for Commodore 64 games would plummet to an apocalyptically low 0.75%. Um, and so it's, I, you know, the, the, how do you fix this for consumers? How do you fix this in a way that is uh, good for people that want to buy games? Um, because realistically, even, you know, like the, the Digital Eclipse just announced their Karatika collection this morning, right? And, um, or like the real re-release of, of that game. And that's fucking cool. But they'll still release it on current platforms. And what happens when those current platforms go out of vogue? You know, we, we like to think that, um, that these are things that will be around forever and, you know, sure they will exist on discs and they can, you know, there, there's a whole thing there, but like, that's the sort of thing that goes away. Um, so yeah, so I'm 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 reading over the actual press release for the the Karatika thing here. It is called The Making of Karatika, the first game in its Gold Master series, independently produced projects that celebrate key designers, studios and games that changed the world. According to Gamatsu, it'll launch on PS5, Xbox, PlayStation 4, Xbox 1, Switch and PC uh later this year. And so they are putting out a remastered all new version of the game featuring cutting room floor content. That's fucking cool. Uh, and another game called death bounce rebounded a twin stick shooter based on Jordan Mechner's unpublished prototype, which is neat. So it's kind of carrying on from Atari 50, um, in a way that, um, is focused around a single game, which is really interesting. And if you had to pick a game to do it, that's a really good one to pick. Cause that's a cool fucking game and ain't no one talking about it. <laughs> um, so, you know, efforts like that are cool, but 
again, you know, all, all you're doing is, you know, at the end of the day, you're reissuing a new product and selling it. And, and presumably they're doing the business dealings necessary to ensure that like, hey, it's coming out on a PC. It's going to be on Steam for, you know, perpetuity or what we can think of as perpetuity. Um, let's suppose. Um, but even that could possibly go away at some point. So how do you, you know, how do you make these original games available for researchers? How do you make these original games available? You know, cause obviously we can sidestep that, this whole conversation and just say like, fuck it, man, this hard drive has 11 terabytes of PlayStation one games on it. Fuck you. Um, preserve this motherfucker. But like, we're talking about it in, in a way that like researchers have to act in a more legal way than you and I do when it comes to accessing research materials and, and all of this sort of stuff. And so when the only option available is breaking the law, that's bad for everyone. Um, and so I think that their fight for, for DMCA exemption on this stuff is noble. I think it is something that absolutely must happen. I think it is something that I wish that the people that fund the companies that fund the ESA need to step in and say, Hey, fucking let this one go through. I think that that's something a Phil Spencer, a Microsoft, you know, these people that are on the board for the ESA who have given quotes where they talk about that. They care about game preservation. Sony claims they have a preservation team in house. Like some of the stuff around preserving source code and, um, you know, different builds of games and stuff. Some of that stuff, it sounds like it's gotten better at some studios, but it is not a foregone conclusion that this stuff is still around in some way. And so I think that these people who are in the position to impact the ESA need to do so when the time comes. Um, and I, I feel like the ESA has not been a very good um, representative of the video game industry lately. You know, when you take the E3 stuff into consideration and their inability to put on a trade show that works for the modern video game industry, they seem relatively out of touch with what the industry is and needs. Um, so maybe, maybe now would be the right time to step in and say like, hey, let this exemption go through. Um, and let's find ways to make this stuff available to legitimate researchers. Let's start there, you know, like let's at least start there to where people doing legitimate research will have access to this material legally in a sane and sensible way, as opposed to the video game, video game industry treating it like, Oh, well, no, we're going to make a billion dollars off this next year. We absolutely cannot let you have access to this. What a, a build of Starcraft ghost. Are you crazy? No way. Um, So it's, yeah, it, it's an interesting, there, there's basically, they, they've broken the study. The v Video Game History Foundation has broken this study out into, into kind of three different things of varying lengths. If you want to read the full-on document, it's out there. They have it in a kind of smaller couple of blog posts as, as well, kind of explaining the study. If you do not want to read the full study, because it is, the full study is, is lengthy. It is a, it is a big-ass PDF. 
survey of the video game reissue market in the United States being just one of the pieces in here that uh, Phil Salvador has put together. And so it, it's it's good work on their part. I, I really... Um, I, I've been someone... I, you know, I, I've been a Patreon backer of the Video Game History Foundation for some time, largely because they have a, a you know, a, a channel on their Discord uh, devoted to Bubsy. You know, important things. Um, but also this stuff's important too. I mean, this whole reforming copyright law matters i suppose um and so i i uh i appreciate that they're that they're kind of taking this on and trying to make actual change in the video game industry um it has been too shitty for too long and hopefully they can find a way to to push through this because it's not unheard of for dmca dmca exemptions to be granted for research purposes and some of this other stuff. It's just that the video game industry through the ESA has been especially shitty about it. Um, and I don't think that there's a good reason for them to be um, with the, the sorts of things that, that are being pushed for here. It's not, it's not there, you know, the push isn't make piracy, you know, make emulate, you know, make ROM sites legal. No one's stepping in and saying like, Hey, we want to make Pokemon ROMs dot biz. Could you, could we change the law here it's more just like hey this this is impeding actual research if we want to sit here and talk about video games as art as video games as an important cultural medium then we need to make allowances for people that want to research it because it is becoming increasingly difficult for those people to access the material um in a safe and legal way and um has to change it has to change hopefully hopefully this will be one of the things that help push helps to push it through we will see um and that's it for the news so why don't we get into uh some emails here that email address podcast at guard.bike send in your emails to me i will look at them there are a bunch of new ones here that I have not seen. Um, and uh, let's see here. Let's start with some of the ones that I have seen here. Uh, Nathan from Tumwater, Washington writes in and says, since being a dad, which kids movie do you think you have seen the most? And are you sick of it? It's definitely, uh, well, it's probably Frozen or Frozen 2. That has been a big hit around the house for years. Um, and I have seen... Frozen 1, I can watch. Frozen 2 is a miserable piece of fucking shit. It is... The songs are 10 times worse. There are barely any songs in the second half. The storyline is a fucking bunch of muddled bullshit. It is fucking embarrassing. They should be embarrassed by the plot and story of Frozen 2. It's an abysmal fucking film. 
Uh, and so I, I fucking hate that out of the gate. That That's not something I got sick of. That's like, this is fucking awful. This is a real piece of shit. Frozen 1, I think, is very well made for what it is. I don't especially like it, but I look at it and go like, oh, yeah, I, I see. Yes, you can easily see why this would be wildly popular. Um. And why these characters are 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 like pretty well carved out and, and everything else. Frozen 2 takes those characters and just shoves them into just like embarrassing fucking bullshit. It's like fucking fan fiction at a point. It's like, this is fucking, this just sucks. And it has this muddled fucking like colonialism thing. It's just like the message of it is fucking so ham fisted and fucking, it's so bad. It's so fucking bad. Um, I think my favorite though is, is actually probably Mary Poppins. I had not seen Mary Poppins or if I did, I saw it when I was such a little kid that I, I didn't remember it at all. But like we've seen a, a fair amount of Mary Poppins in the house and you know, that's a fucking, that's some good ass shit. Regular ass Mary Poppins, the, 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 the sequel they made a handful of years ago, straight trash. Fuck that shit. Mary Poppins one is dope. No complaints. That's just a dope fucking movie. Dick Van Dyke getting it done. Julie Andrews. Hit me up. Um, but yeah, Frozen 2 is fucking a, a, a miserable, miserable experience. Um... John from Birmingham, Birmingham in the UK writes in and says, I have recently got into the world of Vita custom firmware and found it amusing that 90% of the time I use it to emulate a PSP. Yeah, well, the PSP is better than the Vita. Software-wise, way more good-ass PSP games than good-ass Vita games. Anyway. My most played PSP game is Ridge Racer. I've always been a fan of the series and I remember you mentioning the PSP ones are good. The story mode has a lot of meat to it and I love how it will customize a set of races for you if you input how much time you have to play anywhere from 5 to 60 minutes in 1 minute increments. Yeah, that's it's super cool. Uh the the PSP games are are, are really fucking cool that way. I still think Type 4 is probably the best and I have fond memories of 6 on the 360 but this is probably the second or third best Ridge Racer. I'm looking forward to trying the sequel out. Yes, Ridge Racers and Ridge Racer 2 on the PSP are both hell of good. Um, and yeah, I, Type 4 is probably... Type 4 is a different thing, man. Ridge Racer Type 4 is a fucking... Ridge Racer Type 4 is a lifestyle, man. <laughs> Uh, and he, he asked a follow-up question. Do you recommend the wacky controllers that Namco made, like the JogCon and the NejiCon? I've had the desire to acquire these, but does it really enhance the experience? I read your original reviews from the time and seem to remember you thought they were pretty good. I, Ridge, I, every time I go back to play Ridge Racer Type 4 without the JogCon, I think, man, I need to go get my JogCon. And hook it up and figure out a way to do this um, on not a PlayStation. Because I really 
thought the jog con was fucking cool that, that i ridge racer type four was actually the first game where i got to be good at ridge racer and finally understood how it worked how ridge racer worked how drifting in ridge racer worked how their handling model their weirdly specific thing that they made um and the entire franchise clicked for me in a way that it hadn't before. It's actually two games. It's Ridge Racer Type 4 and, weirdly enough, Ridge Racer 64, um, which is basically just like a remake of Ridge Racer for the N64. But they, the drifting in Ridge Racer 64 was so fucking over the top that it was a lot easier to just like do the weird 360 spins and all the other crazy shit. And you're like, oh, once you start doing that there it made all of the other games handled there. Like I understood how Ridge racer worked across the board. Um, I loved, I love, I remember loving the jog con. It's been, you know, over a decade since I've handled one, but, uh, the jog con is a cool controller. Ridge racer type four is a beautiful video game, an amazing soundtrack. Um, just a fantastic aesthetic across its menus. Everything in and out of that game is just fucking, fantastic um the nejicon which if you've forgotten was an early playstation before i maybe was one of the first analog controllers on the playstation at all and it twisted in the middle and so you you played driving games by twisting the middle of the controller uh and it had two analog buttons on it that you could use for analog gas and analog brakes um which ridge racer did not necessarily need i remember that controller primarily being a wipeout xl controller um it worked with ridge racer but i remember the the selling point for that being like yes let's play wipeout with this thing um and it's a cool ass controller uh because it twists in the middle and it's this big weird analogy thing and it just has a good feel to it uh i like the design of it a lot it's another situation where it's been a very long time since i've handled one i think both controllers are in the same box somewhere in my garage i should try to find them one of these days and then get a snacks adapter for my mister and blah 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 blah. um but they're both cool cool controllers i don't know how available they are these days i don't know if, if the prices on them have become completely out of control but uh they're fucking neat uh that's for sure i don't know what other controllers or what other games uh the jog con works with i don't i don't know if it's a wide i only ever used it for ridge racer type 4 <laughs> i don't remember using it for anything else before or after that uh, but that the nejicon was was really it was pretty much just like ridge racer and and wipeout I know other games work with it, but I don't, I don't remember that ever being a big deal. Um, Nick writes in with another controller thing. I feel like you're the person with the knowledge to help me on this. At some point, maybe around 2013 or 14, you had a controller that was like a gun handle in a rig that you move around in 3d to control the mouse in shooters. I was trying to describe it to a friend and I could not Google my way to figuring out the name of that thing. Do you remember the name? Was it any good? 
It's called the Novint Falcon. Uh, that's N-O-V-I-N-T. Um, and yes, I have that thing out in the garage still. I am missing pieces of it. It's shitty, if I remember correctly. Um, but it has its uses these days, I suppose. From some videos I've seen, people have started taking that thing. Because it is force feedback in its movement, I guess people have started adapting it for teledildonics. So you can fuck or get fucked by a Novent Falcon. I don't, I don't with toast. Um, and, uh, so I don't know. Those things might be super pricey now because of that reason, because of, because of what people have done to it. I've got one in my garage. It still has the gun handle on it. Uh, I haven't done anything else with it. But people, the idea is that people in VR will use it as a, when they're doing virtual reality porn things. And I don't, fucking, I don't know. It's, you would think that people would have made custom devices for this and they wouldn't need to adapt ancient, uh, ancient technology for, for, for VR sex devices. But uh, nature nature finds a way, I suppose. Uh, Josh from Niles, Michigan writes in and says, We're a week into July now and have not heard any official news about this year's Call of Duty title. There's been a lot of insider leaks, but nothing from Activision or whichever dev is doing this one. Usually at this point, we'd have some sort of teaser, a confirmation on what the game is, and a campaign or gameplay trailer. I don't know where I'm going with this. Just thought it was a bit strange. Um, So they showed it to basketball players uh, last weekend, I guess. Um, According to Charlie Intel, which is a site devoted to well they used to be devoted to just call of duty as far as i remember but i went and looked at it and it looked like the most opportunistic video game website i've ever seen uh which uh, you know good going on that's not a i don't think that's a knock on them per se but it just feels like you look at it and they're like here's our call of duty section here's our fifa section here's our pokemon go section and here's our maybe they do destiny i forget there was like one or two other games that you're just like oh okay i see I see what you're doing. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do here. Um, anyway, according to Charlie Intel and some pictures posted to Instagram, um, some basketball players were shown brief demos of the game at the NBA Summer League, which is happening in Las Vegas. Um, and uh, I don't know. Like, there's some you can see some screens in the footage, but it's hard to see if this is um the new game or not. Uh, the menu does look a little bit different, I guess, but not. I don't know. I'd have to sit there and stare at this year's Call of Duty to know for sure. But um, Call of Duty has this tie to basketball when it comes to revealing the games. 
um, where you would see, and in some years, it would there you would have situations where, like during the NBA Finals, is when they would first run an ad for Call of Duty, and it would be a you know a very brief teaser. It would not be like a ton of gameplay. It'd be like here's just hey, new Call of Duty coming soon, reveal coming soon, whatever it is. Um and and so they've always had some sort of tie to basketball. Um. And, and yeah, so the, you know, showing the game off to players at the, um, NBA summer league, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, but also the thing they've done more recently is they have revealed the game within the game itself where they have had like war zone, like battle Royale events where you start to find hints and clues as to what the next game is. Uh, there's about three weeks left on season four of Call of Duty. Um, and I would expect that when that season ends, we will see something more direct about what they're doing. Um, that's my guess. If they're showing it off to basketball players here at the Summer League in Vegas then I would bet that when the next season of Call of Duty ends, they will probably have something going on. Um, the talk going around is that Sledgehammer is leading this game and that it is changed. You know, there was originally talk that they were going to take a year off and instead focus on something that was more expansion in size and scope as opposed to a full-on new retail product. But it sounds like that maybe that plan has changed and that that expansion has been blown up into a full-fledged game now but that also the sticking bit of this rumor that's been going around for a while is that it is still meant to be some sort of expansion onto modern warfare 2 and its story as opposed to a whole new theater and whole new game and, and everything else so um I wonder how different it will really be when it comes to the feel of the multiplayer. If if they're making like, and I'm talking competitive multiplayer here more than Warzone, uh, I suppose, but I'm curious to see if they, you know, like, cause if, if all the existing maps are in there and all the existing guns are in there from last year's game and they're adding more to it, do they, does this end up being the same game with just more of it are they just like hey here's a lot more maps and more guns or do they change gameplay in meaningful ways for the competitive multiplayer in terms of feel not just maps and modes and whatever else is it like oh we we put the dolphin di-, you know whatever movement thing or, or or whatever um and then warzone they'll do what they do with it you know i don't know um so i don't know it sounds like it's still building off of last year's game, but that it, instead of skipping a year, they're just going to go ahead and ship it. They're, they're going to Miles Morales that bad boy from, uh, from DLC to full-fledged game is what it sounds like. Um, but also, they'll probably charge full price for it. Um, and yes, the Homelander is coming to Call of Duty. The character from The Boys. The Boys. 
it sounds like that they have also confirmed that the Homelander will appear in Mortal Kombat 1, which is, uh, you know, that leaked out of Amazon Italy or something like a long time ago. But I guess the, what, the TikTok account for the boys or some someone somewhere along the way uh, in an official capacity just kind of said like, yep, Homelander's coming in a way that makes it seem like someone didn't know that they were supposed to say that or not, but, but they did confirm that that was coming, which already seemed like it was relatively confirmed anyway. Um, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're going to do that. I, yeah, we'll, we'll see what call of duty ends up being. It just feels, yeah. You know, I, I, you wonder like, did it get muddled in this whole acquisition thing? Like what happened? Uh, was it like, oh, well, we're going to be owned by Microsoft by then. So whatever, we'll do it as an expansion. Who cares? And they were like, oh, this deal might get shut down. We need to make sure that this is a full price game. Oh shit. Um, I, I, I wonder if that had any bearing on it one way or the other. Probably not, but you never know. Um, let's see here. Tommy from Florida writes in and says, my original Xbox died. A lot of my OG Xbox games, unfortunately didn't make the backwards compatible program. And now I'm wondering, is there any market for new production of retro hardware? Could Sega just start making the dreamcast again in limited quantities? Is that even possible? Anything's possible. Right. Um, but the, you know, the, the getting those parts, you know, can you find new versions of parts that would work in the same way, like getting an assembly line together to make super old chips is, uh, probably not super easy to do. Um, <clears throat> And so, so yeah, I don't know that, that would be probably pretty difficult. Dreamcast stuff might, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's like a a middle ground here where you end up in a, a weird situation where the technology is just advanced enough to be hard to reproduce. Um, where like, if you look at what you, what would it take to make an original Xbox from scratch? you know, that's new enough where you have to deal with like CPUs and GPUs and all this shit that just doesn't exist anymore. The NVIDIA part that was in there, uh, would be hard to duplicate would be, you know, the legality of duplicating it. If you were making a clone device might be in question as well. If Microsoft were doing it, then, you know, like you could, but like the, It's just, it's probably just difficult enough to recreate those parts that you have to kind of wait a while for that stuff to be easily emulatable or easily something you could easily do on a Raspberry Pi style SOC, you know, and you're like, okay, well, we're not recreating an Xbox from scratch, but we can approximate one with new parts this way. Um, and, 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 and go through those hoops in, instead of actually making a new old Xbox, which would actually be pretty difficult. Cause then you're like, okay, we need to put hard drives in these things, but I guess we, we can 
probably replace that with an SD type situation or something else, or, you know, th- there's different ways to attack that. And, um, the, the technology is specifically asking about an original Xbox is actually the hardest part about this. Cause I think there's just stuff with the original Xbox in terms of the parts inside of it that are just fucking weird enough to be hard to duplicate in a modern context. Um, and then if you legally want to run DVDs in it, you're jumping through another set of hoops around reading those discs and, and reading the specific format of those that if you were Microsoft, you could obviously do. But if you were making a clone device, might very well be a DMCA violation to make a thing that would read those. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of fucking weird shit around that that would make it really difficult to do. Um. But eventually, as emulation of the original Xbox gets better, which it's gotten quite good over the last couple of years here, um, through uh, XMU is the name of the emulator that does original Xbox stuff, <clears throat> uh, and that, that's that's there's a few different ones, but that one's gotten quite good and, and is relatively user friendly. But, you know, not specific to that, but like as emulation of that platform gets better and better on a software side, they eventually get to a point where you could say like, okay, we can take a cheap piece of hardware, we can code an emulator that works well enough for these 20 games and then do a mini Xbox type of situation. Um, Getting something that is a one-to-one recreation of that console and all its parts and all of its other bullshit compatibility with original peripherals and the HD pack and all that other horse shit way harder to do. But yeah. Um, yeah, way, way harder to do. Let's see here. Topher in Indiana writes in and says, I don't get what FOV is. Why does it matter? All I see is that it makes things look like I'm looking through a fisheye lens. Topher, I'm kind of with you. FOV is a thing that if you're going to adjust it is usually best adjusted very subtly. FOV is kind of a math problem. Um, more than anything else, because when you're thinking about the proper FOV for a first-person game, um, you tend to think about it as a factor of the size of your TV screen and how far away you are from it. And so the FOV you want in front of a PC monitor you may want a wider FOV there than you would if you're sitting six feet from your television or vice versa. I forget. Um, And so some people get sick at lower FOVs because at lower FOVs, think about it as it's that fisheye lens that you get when you widen out the FI, the FOV, the field of view, if you will, when you're widening that field of view, yes, it does fisheye out in a way. That is ridiculous. And if you if you turn it all the way up, it becomes broken and insane and you're like playing inside of your head and it, it hurts. Um, but subtle adjustments do start to get, do start to make sense to me anyway. 
um, as something that is, again, a, a factor of the size of your screen, how far away you are from it. And, and it really is, in a lot of ways, sort of a math problem. Think about it as low FOVs. You're, you're almost like drawing a fucking box around your eyes. You know, and you're not seeing anything. Your field of view is so narrow. It, we talk, it's, it's why people talk about field of view in VR is because it's how big are the screens? How big of a field of view do they give you? You don't have to adjust it in that case, but it is a similar concept into is the VR headset giving you a view like this or is it giving you a view like this? And so when you think about the screen as a factor of your eyes and your eyes are sitting in front of the screen and you're looking at it as like my eyes go here and then it goes out and the screen is this size. You know, it's getting bigger as you get out there. There is a natural answer to that math problem as to what field of view will make looking at your TV seem sort of like looking through a window in a way that seems very natural as opposed to something that is very enclosed and claustrophobic or something that is so widened out that it is bending in a way that would, you know, again, if you think about it as a VR headset sort of problem, the bend on that, the fisheye lens on that makes total sense because we're thinking about our eyes and how wide we can see with our eyes. So I can see my finger right here, even though it's on the side of my head. That's fucking crazy. You can't do that with a television. So you have to figure out like what the right thing is to make it look natural again for the distance that you're seated from and blah, 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 blah. I tend to never fucking change it. And when I do, I push it five degrees one way or the other. Um, but I, I am not a big, uh, I am not a huge believer in adjusting FOV. I've, I've never really, it's never bothered me one way or the other. It's just, it's never been a thing that has stuck out to me. I've never played a game and been like, oh, I can't fucking see shit. It's it just, it never, um, it's never been a problem. I mean, that's because a lot of first person games dial it in and I'm usually on 16 by nine or 16 by 10 monitors, but I don't touch it. I don't, I tend to not mess with it in third person games, first person games, anything. It's just not, um, it's, it's nothing that's ever bugged me enough to go in and change. Um, and some people are, some people get motion sick for it. You know, some people like when you give them a claustrophobic feeling FOV, they lose their shit. And like, I can't, I can't even look at this fucking game. You know, they, they need to turn it up to feel less sick because, you know, head bob and different sway will play into that as well. And, and whatever else. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really, I never have really needed to mess with it. Um, and so I, I just don't have a ton of experience messing with it because it's just, it's never really bothered me. Uh, David from York writes in and says, I love niche game enthusiast websites like the Amiga graphics archive, lemon 64, the VP forums and GT planet for hot grand Turismo seven cartoons. They're clearly run for the love of it and the lack of economic motive makes them nice places to be. Finding a new interesting site in their link pages is how my brain still thinks the internet should work. Do you have any favorite similar sites and what would be on your web ring? Um, 
Lemon 64 is a great site. Like you, know, you have like specific needs. Like Lemon 64 is really great if you need to find a box shot of a Commodore 64 game. It's great for that. I used to use Lemon 64 all the fucking time. Uh, there's an Amiga equivalent of it uh, that is not the Amiga Graphics Archive. There's there's a I forget what it's called, but there is an Amiga version of Lemon 64 that uh, maybe it's just Lemon Amiga anyway. <clears throat> um, that has also been useful. There's World of Spectrum, which is kind of the same thing for Spectrum games. There's, I want to say, Atari Mania for Atari home computer, well, even just Atari console games. Um, These are sites I just, I don't necessarily go to them on a regular basis. They're more like sites that I end up on as a result of searching for shit. Where I'm like, I need a fucking box shot for Castle Hassle. Right now. Who's got it? Atari Mania. They've got it. Um, it's usually it's usually box shots. Uh, the Atari Age forums are uh, a fucking real layer of something, man. Um, but if you want the latest versions of Altira, the Atari home computer emulator, you have to trek over to the Atari Age forums once every few months and update. Um, and so I end up on some of those spots here and there. There's a few places that, you know, just like there's stuff that I, you know, like I, when I want to see kind of what the custom firmware hacking sort of stuff is like, I will occasionally look at wololo.net. Um, I know there's a bunch of different sites out there, but that that's one that I, sometimes I value a site that is clean and easy to read. Uh, over, you know, some, some sites maybe more uh, over, over digging through a goddamn message board, um, for news and information. I refuse. Um, I, I read retro RGB, uh, dot com here and there. They will cover like the, Hey, a new, like their top story right now is there's an Atari 7,800 flash cart coming out. Uh, and uh, someone is 3D printing replacement thumbstick caps for the Philips CDI. You know, important shit. Um, and so th- those are not sites I'm checking every day, but, you know, once a month or something, I'll be like, oh, yeah, what's going on in that world? And I'll go deliberately and kind of read up what they've posted over the last few weeks. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others. Usually it's just you just kind of end up places, you know, like I said, it's it's you end up on Lemon 64 because you're searching for information about Space Taxi and and they've got it. Um, and and whatever else I think you know, there's uh, what SMS power dot org has been a, been a really good resource over the years for Sega Master System prototype dumps and just like a lot of weird information about that. There was an archive. I think it was just fucking, you had to type in a fucking IP address. It wasn't, it didn't even resolve to anything, but there was like, there's the, the NES cart database that was out there for a lot of years. Um, if you want, if you needed to know what mapper a specific game was, you could go look it up there and like all this other crazy shit. So, you know, 
usually it's in service of like weird emulation information that I find myself reading this shit. There's not a lot of, you know, there's no, there used to be a ton of websites devoted to emulation news in the nineties and in the, the early two thousands. And a lot of that stuff dried up in a way that they're just not covering it the way that I wish they did. Um, like, uh, what is it? It's retro retrogames.com was always the, that I always looked at retro games. Yeah. Retrogames.com used to be, and there's, they updated in 2016, but that, that used to be kind of the, the place for me through the nineties and two thousands to look for emulator news. Uh, they were always just fast and professional. I did not, a lot of people bring up Zofar's domain. I was not a, they're, they're all right. Uh, I was not a huge fan back in the day, uh, compared to some of the other sites out there like Jose Q's MU news. That was a much better spot, uh, to quickly get information. I thought, um, or MU views. It wasn't MU news. It was MU views. Is that site still up? I don't think so. I think that's long gone. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's some kind of spam site or something now. Uh, there's no, yeah. So there's just like, I, I want details on like, Hey, this emulator updated and here's what's new. And, uh, now I find myself in situations where I care about that stuff. I find myself reading GitHub commits to get that information where like when I want to install the BizHawk nightly, I look at what they've been committing lately and go like, Oh wow. They, they added support for RetroArch, like LibRetro cores. That's cool. Or, Hey, they have retro achievement support now on, on, in BizHawk and, and so I go grab their nightly and, and install it and, and whatever else. So it's, uh, yeah, I now, nowadays I just kind of like, that's how I get most of my Mr. News is from GitHub. Cause there just isn't a great, uh, resource for, or, or discord really, because the people on the, the Mr. Discord are posting cores and updates and, you know, um, whatever other, you know, unstable builds of cores and, and all that other shit. So, so that's become kind of the, the best place for that stuff, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I wish that there was a good, uh, there's a newsletter that, uh, is out there now for like kind of big picture emulator stuff called read only memo that uh, West Fenland runs. You can go to readonlymemo.com. I believe it's a sub stack or something along those lines. Um, and that's pretty good for kind of like big picture stuff. But again, it's not GitHub commits, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so there, there's, there's no middle ground there for like all of that sort of stuff. I don't want to watch YouTube videos about Mr. Cores and stuff. So instead it's like, it's a mixture of GitHub commits and Twitter because people are posting updates like the, the guy, there's a guy working on a narc core for the mister, the arcade game, narc that everyone loves the classic arcade game, narc. Um, 
and he just posted like, hey, I don't think I'm going to be able to fit this into, like, I'm running out of bandwidth on this. I think it's only going to work if people have dual SD RAM on their mister because I need the bandwidth and I'm, and I can't, I can't get it any other way. <clears throat> or he's, he's not hundred percent sure, but that's, that was the last thing that, uh, that I saw him posting is that he didn't no longer thought it would be able to fit on a single, uh, a single stick of SD RAM. Yes. Bill Bellamy's narc for the PlayStation two. That's the game we're talking about with its hot soundtrack featuring songs about drugs. Such as that smell. And I believe white lines is probably on that soundtrack. If it's not, then they fucked up. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't, you know, th- there's, there's a lot of stuff out there, but at the same time, it's it not, it's, I wish there was something better out there for some of those topics. It feels like some of that stuff is not being covered to the extent that I wish it was. Um, Let's see here. Jesse from Macon, Georgia says, one of my favorite pastimes is having a few beers with a group of buddies and watching terrible movies that can be classified as so bad they're good. Do you know of any video games that fall into that category? The only one I can think of is Rogue Warrior. As bad as that game was, I still enjoyed playing through it because of the absurdity of the dialogue. Can you think of any more games that fall into the so bad it's good category? Um, yeah, those are, yeah. Deadly premonition and bullet storm are the first two out of the chat. Those are, uh, those are decent, uh, suggestions. Yeah. Final fantasy origin strangers of paradise is a good one. Quiet man. I don't, I don't know that there's not a lot of enjoyment. I don't think there's a lot of enjoyment to get out of that, but I I think about older stuff. Um, I mean, you know, that's, that's maybe not conducive to the like idea of we had a couple of drinks and watched some bad movies, like, like bad games that fit that category probably need to be a little newer in a, yeah, like a ride to hell retribution sort of way. I suppose if we get back to this, the classic fucking Kusoge, if you just go back to all the fucking shittiest fucking games imaginable, and then suddenly you're playing sort of Sodan for the Genesis those were the games that I, me and a friend used to play and fucking laugh our asses off at how bad some of those fucking games were. Um, and, uh, yeah, Atlantis, uh, Nazo is another good one of those. Basically a lot of the stuff that you saw on fucking game center. Uh, yeah, 50 cent blood on the sand probably fits that bill. The dialogue in that is just fucking hysterical. It's so fucking hilarious. Sub-Zero, yeah, Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero is maybe too hard to play if you are drinking, but uh, the cutscenes are great. In those sort of situations, I might say fucking, you're better off watching a compilation of the cutscenes, though. Like, it's easy to sit there and say, like, let's play Mortal Kombat Special Forces, but to actually sit down and play Mortal Kombat Special Forces is an entirely different fucking ball of wax, man. It's not fucking cool. It's not a good time. It's not fun. But I don't know. I, I think there's a, you can you can have a wide. I think the ideal is a game that's like fun to play, but hilarious in its story 
and setting or something, right? So that that's a harder thing. You know, Bulletstorm maybe fits that bill, right? Where like Bulletstorm works because the gameplay actually is fun. Um, and the story is fucking terrible. Um, Wu-Tang Shaolin style, someone suggested that. That's not a good choice because Wu-Tang Shaolin style is annoying to play. It is a hassle to play. The cutscenes and the dialogue are hilarious, but you still have to play that fucking game and you still have to like play it well enough to win, um, which is frustrating. It's not, you know, like playing the AI and unlocking all the chambers where you're like, now I need to do an 11 hit combo and do that. It fucking sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Like the, the so bad it's good is, is kind of a weird concept, uh, in the first place because you know, it, it's, it's, I, well, I don't know, you know, it's, is Baldur's Gate three going to fall into that category where it's like a perfect mix of like, this is an amazing video game to play. Also, I fucked a bear or <laughs> whatever, you know? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, you have some games that are trying to deliberately be kind of tongue in cheek about their stuff. Where like, I, I love the gun stringer because it is just one long mad dog McCree joke, but, uh, but also, you know, they're, they're going for it. That's the thing they're trying to do. Like that is a funny game, not a bad game is wet. So bad. It's good. Ah, no, probably not. I don't know. Wet is funny to talk about because it's so unremarkable. Um, so I, I, I don't know. There's, yeah, it's, it's conceptually kind of weird. Um, cause you end up in situations where like some games are trying for it or some games like wormed their way into it, like off world interceptor, that racing game that originally came out on 3do and then came to Saturn and PlayStation and they just straight up put mystery science theater style characters on the bottom of the screen. And one of them is Brian Posehn and they're just like cracking jokes at the shitty cutscenes. It's really fucking weird. We looked at that a little while back. You may, you may, you may remember that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's uh that, that's, uh, Jason in Hamilton, Ontario writes in, maybe this will be our last one. Recent podcast discussions regarding the rumor of three, four, three switching to unreal and Bethesda's long history of engine bugs. Reminded me that Microsoft owns id tech. When Microsoft first acquired ZeniMax, I thought id tech was a great fit for them. The modern doom and Wolfenstein games were really well optimized, were ported across a variety of platforms and generally worked perfectly for a company like Microsoft who has a number of shooter IPs. It seemed like the perfect fit. So why do you think we haven't seen any id tech games since doom eternal in 2020? I, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, like we haven't really seen big open world stuff, open world shooters on that id tech engine. Is it really best suited for smaller spaces? 
Is it, uh, is it well suited for competitive multiplayer? Um, Oh yeah, Fat Scout in the chat says Deathloop was an id tech game. Yeah, I guess it was, wasn't it? That's weird. Um I would suspect that it's a variety of things, but when it comes down to the tool set that your team uses, um you want to use whatever your team I I want to look up Deathloop now and actually verify that because I don't I don't remember that being. This says it's on the void engine. Which is. Based on id tech five. Which is the engine used in rage and the evil within. You know, uh, Rage, Wolfenstein, the New Order, and Wolfenstein, the New Blood were id tech five. So modern id tech, I guess id tech six is the current. Is that the current? Anyway. Um, I, you know, okay. So you have a lot of different problems. This is, again, something I don't have firsthand experience on. But when you are building a team, when you are building a game, when you are like all of those things have to work in concert. If you want to hire people and have them be already good, if you're using an engine that a lot of the industry is already familiar with, then it is easier to hire up for. So that's, it's, it's another, it's a point in favor of the idea of three, four, three switching to unreal is that a lot of the video game industry is, up on things like Unreal. And so it would be easy to hire senior people to work on a game like that because they would already have all the Unreal experience they would need and would have a leg up on people that were coming over from some other engine entirely. So if you're working on some proprietary engine like id Tech that doesn't get licensed out like it used to um, and is really just being used for id's stuff and, and you know some of the limited use outside of that, um, maybe that engine's hard to work with. I have no idea. You know, that's, that's, I'm totally out of my depth, right? So if, if id tech happens to be hard to work with and is very custom built for doom and, and the, the highly specific games that they're making it for, it might not be well suited for those tasks. And it might be harder to find a team of people to quickly execute on a vision because they have to spend a lot of time um, getting up to speed on what the fuck id tech does well and what the, how they do it and, and everything else. And so, um, so it might not, you know, it's, it, it's never just as easy as like, Oh, we'll give id tech to three, four, three, and then they'll do that. And it'll be a fucking banger. Like it, it might be an easier to use unreal because that is something that, has had fucking millions, if not billions of dollars of fucking work put into it to make it very, you know, friendlier to use in third party licensed scenarios and whatever else. Unity is similar in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm not shitting on unity per se. Um, when I say this, but you know, but it, it may just be the case that 
a lot of work has been done to make sure that people can kind of onboard onto Unreal and understand it. And maybe the documentation for id tech doesn't exist. It could be something like that too, uh, where, yeah, it'd be suitable with some minor modifications, but also you'd have to train your entire team on the workflow of making an id tech game. And maybe that's a fucking totally different thing. I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I guess like that, that's the point is it's, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it probably also doesn't matter, uh, because unreal is a well-regarded engine. There are plenty of well-regarded kind of licensable third-party engines out there, um, that you would have an easier time hiring up for than if you were, you know, I wonder if that's something that EA has to deal with, right. With frostbite when they were. You know, and they still are to a certain extent, but like, you know, when, when frostbite was the law of the land, if you're bringing someone in, you've got to train them up on frostbite if they are not aware of how it works. Um, and so anyone that joins the team has to be like, okay, what the fuck are you doing? I know how to make unreal blueprints like a motherfucker, but what? Uh, and, and so it's a, it's a change of pace. It's a change of tools. And you know, anyone can learn anything. Let's just say, uh, but in a lot of cases, it's probably faster and easier to just go with, uh, something that is a lot more widely used. Even if you own id tech, it's probably better. Well, I don't want to say probably it may very well be easier for them to say, actually, what would be better for our game and for our hiring efforts is if we switched to unreal even though we could theoretically use id tech for free and not have to pay Epic any licensing fees to use it. We probably should just go with unreal because it'll be easier to hire up and all the people, the coalition know how to use it. And so they can give us tips and tricks as well and blah, 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 blah. That's my guess on it is that it's uh, a lot of those sorts of, uh, problems that need need to be solved it's not always just what's the best technology it's it's not always just what's the technology that we ourselves own and can use for no additional dollars it is also what is best for the game and the team and the project and if paying uh, epic its percentage helps a game come in a lot faster because it's easier to hire up and easier to get going on a project for that variety of reasons then that may be the right business move for a project. In theory, anyway. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, for us here. I guess uh, I'll, I'll take a quick look here. It sounds like there was uh, maybe a um, a note from Phil Spencer sent around internally over at Microsoft uh, about the case here. Let's see if we can find that here. Here, Yeah, The Verge has it. Uh, After today's... I'll I'll skip. I'll kind of skim it a little bit here. We're grateful that upon a review of the evidence and witness testimony, the court rejected the FTC's claims. The evidence showed that the deal is good for the industry. After today's decision, we are turning our focus to the UK. As you may be aware, a few months ago, the the UK Competition and Markets Authority recommended that the deal be prohibited. We disagree. At the same time, we are considering how the transaction might be modified to address the CMA's concerns in a way that is acceptable to the CMA. 
In order to prioritize work on potential options, Microsoft and Activision have agreed with the CMA that pausing the appeal now would be in the best public interest. And we've made a thing in that effect. From the beginning, the gaming leadership team and I have believed that this acquisition will meaningfully benefit players and the gaming industry. Since we announced our intent, our actions have demonstrated our commitment to bringing more games to more people on more devices. This includes numerous signed agreements to make Activision Blizzard's games Xbox first... Xbox first party games. That's right. Sean Waltman uh, has been acquired by Xbox. He's got a whole, he's got this Bronco Buster game that's really turned a lot of heads around here. Uh, Xbox first party games and Game Pass all available to more players than they are today. I'm proud of our efforts to expand player access and choice throughout the process. Thanks to everyone who's devoted their time and dedication in support of our acquisition. So on and so forth. Uh, with today's decision by the court, we take an important step forward in bringing this vision to life. So not really a lot there, um, but, but yeah, they're going to try to work through the CMA stuff and presumably, like I said, we'll be through this, uh, th- this deal will probably be spit out the other side here pretty quick. Um, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's interesting, man. I don't know. It's a fucking crazy one. It's a real crazy one. Um, anyway, that's going to do it for us here today. I'll hit the music. I hope everyone has a, uh, fantastic rest of your Tuesday a solid week uh i'll be back tomorrow uh, well maybe we'll play some hobo uh hobo is a, a game for the arcadia 2001 that has retro achievements it's real bad i had trouble getting it running last week when we were streaming but i uh i put some work in to get it running and now we can play hobo maybe we'll play some other old games i don't know uh I've been meaning to just kind of relax and unwind and play some classics, you know, like Hobo. Um, and then we'll be back Friday as well. Like I said, I, I think Exo Primal's out this week, right? So if that's out by Friday, then uh, maybe we'll take a look at that and uh, blow up dinosaurs. I don't know. <laughs> 